to episode 12 of Movie Mumble, which means we've officially been doing this for a year. I, actually, I don't think we've been recording for a year, but release schedule means this will have <laughs> It's been only one felt year. like a year. Um, <laughs> and then our, our, our uh, cycle recap, which will follow up, will officially cap the year off, depending on what happens with our holiday episodes. But uh, anyway, welcome to episode 12. If you're stuck with us this long, thank you, and what is wrong with you? <laughs> God help you, um, brave souls. <laughs> Movie Thank Mumble. You, fan. <laughs> Thank you, fans. Uh, movie Mumble is a uh, movie exploration and discussion podcast. You're not going to introduce us this time. Where we where are we, we getting there? Get together, uh, watch a film, and then talk about it. Uh, it's just that simple. Um, conversation can go anywhere. We may end up spoiling the film we're watching, or we may not if we end up talking about something else entirely. So if you're worried about spoilers, please watch a given film before its episode. Uh, today I am joined by my uh, uh, equally scarred comrade, Joel Lewis. Hello. And my totally unapologetic comrade, Tim Gerard. Hiya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the end of our shameless pleasures cycle, which was originally guilty pleasures, and then when we decided we felt no guilt at all, it became shameless. Uh, so, this was Tim's choice. Um, Tim, what did you bring for us? This month, <laughs> uh, this th for this month, I decided that, that the boys should get fingered, so we watched Freddy got fingered. And boy, did they! <laughs> of, of all, I just uh, of all the films I've seen where the title was taken from one tiny line or incidental event, <laughs> this, this had one. to be one. Um, so we have Joel's delightful coin here. If you could give us a little bit of coin foley. 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 <laughs> yeah, right. Foley, Foley artist. <laughs> 1896 Morgan Silver Dollar. Mm. It's getting tarnished, but it's it's wearing it well. She's mm. she's a fine old broad. Um, we're gonna have Timothy. Yes. He picked. He gets Slip it, and I'm gonna call it. I was gonna call it and decide. Whoever wins the toss gets to decide who does the description. Okay. Good flip. Bad catch. <laughs> Oh, tails. I guess I should have called that in the air. Do we have to do it again? It's okay. We have it's fine. <laughs> it's tails. tails. Have we, has the caller won the last three coin tosses? I think it might have. <laughs> Be interesting to see what the weight is. Maybe just interesting to me because I'm a coin nerd. I'm going to describe this one. Thank you. <laughs> Freddy Got Fingered is the classic tale of boy moves to Hollywood. He tries once. He goes back to Portland. After helping jerk off a horse on the way to Portland. From Portland. Yeah, to Portland. Yeah. yeah. He just ate the sandwich on the way back. Then meets girl in wheelchair that he didn't know was in wheelchair. Asks her out and then has an awkward conversation with Harlan Williams about whether or not he should continue to date or 
try to date somebody while delivering a baby. While delivering a baby. Note, he's not a doctor. He's not he's not even close to a doctor. There are <laughs> lots of hijinks. He is wearing a white lab coat though. Yeah, that was just pristinely laid That's out on one of the IVs. The <laughs> Is he, you can just buy lab coats? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of sausages on pulleys. There's musical accompaniments. The music is actually pretty decent and I don't know how they got the budget for the the rights to the music that they got for this film. Shaq makes an appearance towards the end. I was delighted by that. There's a helicopter. There's a helicopter. <laughs> he lies about his dad fingering his younger brother who's 25. There's a rocket-powered wheelchair. There's a rocket-powered wheelchair. She's an amateur rocket scientist who's working in as a nurse. So she's got her foot in both camps there, rocket surgery and brain science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flip that, reverse it. Um, yeah, it's okay, it's it's the the classic tale of surrealist crazy animator basically dicking around until he falls ass backwards into inspiration, just animating his dad as and career success. centaur zebra, and sells Zebrar? it for zebra. Centra? Some people say zebra. I say zebra. <laughs> Centaur. <laughs> um, he sells it for a million dollars, comes back, and just fucks with his dad. And. Gets them captured in Pakistan and held hostage for 18 months. Yeah. It's, it's as, <laughs> as disconnected and random as my summary was, this film was also. It's a collection of sketches. <laughs> I felt less lost watching Koyanis Katsi, which is really just a collection of semi-random mm-hmm. moments on Earth. This film ostensibly had a plot, mm-hmm. and yet I was more lost. <laughs> it just it takes it does that Python thing of going into a weird place and then coming back to the 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 typical mundane storyline right like it's it's slacker doesn't achieve and his dad is irritated about it and then finds out that the thing that he is likes to do he's good at and then he succeeds at the end that's not a new the lesson to persevere and not give up on your dream right and, but know. what this does really uniquely is deviate into weird i mean tom green's mind Absurd, basically it's, it's, it's yeah it, it's it sure was, Meg. <laughs> Tim, why don't you talk about how this film entered your life rather forcefully with a finger? <laughs> well, obviously, I found out about this movie back when I was working at Blockbuster. Woo! So there's that check it off the list. Scott, woo with me. Woo! <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> Dragging this through the 12th episode. <laughs> um, so... So what was what was great about this? I at the time I was a huge Tom Green fan. Like he had his show, the Tom Green Show. I think that originally it was like created in Canada. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah, let's pretend for a moment that there are people who don't know who Tom Green is. <laughs> okay, tell us. <laughs> um, because I hadn't yeah. really heard of him until we you started talking about this movie. Okay, so I think this was the, probably this would be. This is when I was still in college, so it was like pre, like end of the twentieth century. He's, he's revving up the, the magnetic yeah. tape. This is like the, yeah, <laughs> this through is, the memories. <laughs> yeah, so 
So his show was around, I think, yeah, when I was in college, was it, yeah, end of the 20th century, end, end of the 90s, and it was, it was sort of like a, a talk show, but it was like, it had some, I wouldn't call them sketches, it was more like kind of him out with a video camera doing a bunch of stupid shit. Like there was one, I remember he did, he videotaped, it was like, people were hiking on, on a mountain or something, and he was like throwing like baby doll heads at them or something. And, like, as cars would drive by and they would, like, yell at him. So he would, like, throw them at the car and then they'd get all angry and drive off. And um, it had sort of – some parts of it had uh, a similar element to, like, Jackass. Where it was, like, you know, a bunch of people doing stupid shit, pissing off people around them. But it's funny because it's other people being pissed off, not you. You know, you're – and you know in the back of your mind, like, if that was me, I'd be like, fuck that guy. But right. it's like – but it's not me. So what he's doing is funny. Um and, and I think that's the difference, too, is, like, some people would kind of lose themselves too much and, like, oh, I can't believe he's doing that. Like, how, uh, yeah, that would piss me off. And it's, like, like yes, there is an understanding of that, but you kind of, like, but, but it isn't me, so, therefore, it is funny. And, um, and he would have, I, I remember at one point he had, like, guests, and he had Tom Wopat on once, and that was, like, a big deal. Um, I don't know if Tom Wopat is also Canadian, but um, that was sort of, like, a big thing, like, um, for those of you who don't know, he's the other brother on the Dukes of Hazard who didn't play Clark Kent's father, Jonathan Kent, in Smallville. <laughs> <clears throat> um, oh, in <it's> Smallville. <laughs> How many John Kents are there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this was the John Schneider one. Um, which actually Tom Wopat had a, a cameo in Smallville. It was one part where he played Jonathan Kent's cousin. And they had a car. It was the same car as the General Lee, but it was blue. And they also made a joke about how the door wouldn't open and he had to climb through the window. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so this so, would be like a prototype Eric Andre show between two ferns, like the the pushing the talk show format to kind of, but it was it was different from between two ferns where it wasn't supposed to be like serious. It was like like they all knew like Tom Green was an idiot and like this. Okay, we all know what this is going to be. It wasn't him sort of pretending to be serious. It's like you kind of knew what you were in for. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, I'm thinking like comedy Bang Bang is now kind of... Um, I've only actually seen like the first episode of Comedy Bang Bang. Um, I, and I don't think people on his show were like actors playing characters. Right. I think it was, it was just them. Right. And it was just like... Um, this is like the, the heyday of TMZ where there's like a lot of candid cam stuff as a trend of like... Mm -hmm. Content. Yeah. Um, it, it was probably when, like around the time where for some reason yeah like, like cameras were getting cheap so it was like everyone's like hey I can go out and do a bunch of stupid shit and right. videotape it and make a living out of it god and now we all have them in our pockets and thanks yeah. to the internet <clears throat> yeah. they're just a couple of presses and they're on out there for the world to see yeah um, and I remember at one point uh, at the height of my Tom Green fandom um, I we were doing a variety show at my, at my undergrad um, and I did uh, what I referred to it like my skit, my contribution to this variety show was the Tim Green show. So I basically, <laughs> you know, prepared a bunch of stuff and like, you know, it was mostly my friends who were in the audience, except for these two old guys who thought they were coming to some jazz concert because it was in the fine arts building in like the main auditorium <laughs> that we had signed out. And I think there was like a jazz concert, like for some reason, like on the art side of the building or something. So they assumed it was on the music side, but it was actually on the art because we had signed this out. And they're just sitting back there. I was like, oh, my God, like, I have to do this bullshit, like, in front of these old-ass <laughs> men that I don't even know. 
Um, so it was kind of this this mix of like random comedy and awkward comedy, and you know, and, and a lot of it I realized kind of wouldn't work with strangers because a lot of the jokes were you that had to kind of know me. Um, like for example, I was really into the band Corn at the time, um, and so one wait, of my... wait, wait a second, <laughs> you can't just saunter off of that. What? What? Hold on, we're on a tangent about a tangent here. <laughs> we'll come back to Corn. What? Corn we're staying for corn. What's, what's not to understand? <laughs> Side note, your Tim Green show, it should be worth noting, Tim is wearing a green shirt oh, yeah. and drinking Mountain Dew. Yes. So, Tim Green. <laughs> He's, team, color. <laughs> He's green on the inside and out right Tim now. Green. <laughs> team Green. Okay. Uh, corn fan. Yeah. Would not have taken This was for before that. they went kind of techno. This was like. <laughs> wait, wait, when did that <laughs> wait, happen? Wait, corn had iterations? <laughs> I know, like. Like they're, they're not, they maybe not techno. Okay, this right, is why fairness, I stopped this here. A lot of the EDM stuff, like I, I don't know all the specifics of the genre, <laughs> it so it wasn't necessarily. I'm sure there are purists out there. We're like, that is not techno. Don't that is worry about drum and bass. Blah, blah. So anyway, like they, they went more keep dance, going. dance. Anyway, but wait, wait, wait. That that stopped though, because they went back to to old corn. Maybe uh, I, mean, I I mean I because kind of lost they... interest. So my, my <laughs> so okay. So my fear is like what is uh, follow the leader, and which I thought was sort of their their like peak Magnum of opus. what they were doing. And then uh, issues, the one that came out was you could tell they were kind of like oh okay we've we've mastered this genre. Let's try something a little different. And they kind of it was a little grittier, went in a slightly different direction. But then I think that was the beginning of, of their downfall. This is my favorite episode. <laughs> he said mastered. <laughs> mastered something. Corn had mastered something. Yeah. I mean, they they, they did that's, what they no, did well, yeah. whether or not you like what they were doing. Um, and that was also, okay, so the, the, that was the era of let's, come oh, and not that they were the first to do this, but it was when it became very mainstream to let's, let's mix um, heavy metal and hip hop. Mm-hmm. And it was also the same thing Limp Biscuit was <coughs> trying to do. Oh shit! Um, Shots fired. And but it was Biscuit is no longer limp. <laughs> it's always been limp. Um, yeah, but you know Tim ain't. <laughs> not when I talk about corn and burning a finger and With mountain corn. dew and green. Um, so okay. So anyway, so how this ties back in was you know people knew that I was into corn, and that was okay. Here's another story that kind of uh, solidifies. You know, because it's weird to say, oh, people knew I was into corn. Like, uh, how, you know. Right? So there, <laughs> there's like a funny a story. There's a, there's a funny story that my roommate in college likes to tell where we had a party and he had um, he had this stereo that he'd gotten. His, his parents' house was actually struck by lightning and his, it like hit his room. And I think he said if he was in the room, he would have been killed. But it like destroyed his That's like some stereo. Donnie Darko shit, yeah. man. Yeah. So if he ever wants to, you know, do the whole, you know, uh, Last Temptation of Christ thing and go back in time. Um, but uh, anyway, so so, the, <laughs> so I'm just I'm dropping all these little threads that I'm not finishing. This is Michael Pettyett and Ant-Man. Like, this I am it. just, this, this is, is my favorite it's day. Over. This is it. This is, we made it a year, and now it's over. No, this is just Tim's show this now. Is, like, yeah. fuck us. This is the yeah. Tim Green this podcast. Tim Green, Green show, yeah. So... Lightning hit the room. So light. So he got this, and they, the, the the insurance basically said like, okay, well the stereo you had, 
you know, that got destroyed, we're going to replace it. But this is sort of an equivalent stereo for this time. And this was the time when they were starting to make um, like 5.1 surround sound, very mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so like his stereo had that capability. It also, you know, so the one that he was able to replace it with, it also had a karaoke function to it. So, you know, we set this up in our apartment. We got to like watch movies with surround sound and do karaoke. So we are, <coughs> we're having a party. And what he would do is he would so create. He's choking um, with delight. Yes. He would he would create a, a playlist on his computer um, from a, um, an, uh, de a music download service, which I won't mention because there are sort of sore feelings now with it. So remember, this was like the late nineties. Well, which one? Napster. <laughs> okay, LimeWire. So I think Napster was like and Napster, the, it's and the first or the one. biggest one. I remember that was like the was one. Was Napster the one that um, Lars had his big fight with? I think so. Yeah. yeah. There's a third one that I'm missing, but I whatever. But uh, so. So at one point, um, you know, we usually kind of would be in the living room, but then we get too hot and people would go outside, this, this, and that. So at one point, um, which corn song was it? I forget which song came on, but I got so excited and I grabbed the mic and like switched over into like the karaoke mode. And I was standing on my couch, like singing into the mic as loud as I could, like doing the karaoke thing. And, um, my roommate comes running in and like I hadn't realized this but everyone left the living room like there was no one in there it was just it was me just by myself you. just fucking screaming into this microphone like maxing out the speakers and you know he comes running in, he's like dude they're gonna call the cops and I'm like okay okay you know everyone outside is like what the fuck is going on <laughs> so then one of my other friends and it was a, a, like a block or so away like um, there's a Cumberland Farms it was nice and convenient like if you're like hey I want to get a snack while I'm at this party but I'm too drunk to drive I can walk to Cumberland Farms and my friend comes back and he's like, and I'm like, dude, I was singing corn. And he's like, yeah, I know we heard it Cumberland <laughs> So live so, from Cumberland right. Farms, <laughs> it's Tim, Tim Green, Green. <laughs> singing corn. One man so, corn tribute band. <laughs> so this is sort of what I mean when I say like people know I was into corn. So it's Tim not Green just like, and the you know. kernels. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is sort of a way too big of a setup for like the punchline is going to be kind of like. Uh, um, like the movie, just... <laughs> no, 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 no way here. So that was one of the things. Is I was like, at one point, I was like, "Hey, does anybody here like corn?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." And I just took out, you know, cans of corn. I was like rolling them down the aisles, and it was like a little souvenir. Um, and that was kind of one of the weaker ones. One of my my favorite part. Uh, no, I had two favorites. One of them I'm not going to talk about because it goes too far. One of them. <laughs> oh, do go. Was, well, was uh, my my friend, the one who could hear me singing corn yes. at the Cumberland Farms. His brother came to visit. His brother was in high school. I think he was like a senior about to graduate, and it's like, oh, I'm thinking of going to URI. So he was there, and I, I had met him before this happened, so I kind of knew him. And uh, so there was a point where, um, you know, I was like kind of jumping around. I was like, oh, I need a volunteer. And I was like, oh, you, you know, and I picked him specifically because it's just like, yeah, nobody here really, you know, you don't know people here as well. So I had him sit up on the stage, and I had bought this like nine-inch long probably two inch diameter sausage that I took. I had this duffel bag of all props and I had these two plastic forks and I think I like, I had him hold it like between his legs and I like, then I like stabbed it with the forks <laughs> like while he was holding it. And I was like, Oh here, hold the forks. And he's just sitting there and I was like, okay. And then I went and did like, I did like five other bits. <laughs> and the, the funny part was I forgot he was there. Like at one point I turn around I'm like, Oh, he's still sitting there with like this sausage dick that he's just like, He's like being a hell of a participant, like a good sport. <laughs> and he's just holding it there. I was like, and I start laughing. 
And at another point in the show, I'm, I'm in the middle of something else, and I just run over and just, like, deep throat it and bite the tip of it off, <laughs> like, while he's holding it there. Um, so there's all sorts of shit like Tell that. Tell me there is video footage of this. I think there is somewhere. No. I think there's video of the party we had later that night after, because we had a party at our house after that. Um, um, okay, so I'll tell you the thing I wasn't going to tell you about. <laughs> In the spirit of Freddy Got a Finger. So, at one point... What spirit is that? The spirit of going too far? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and this is one of those things like, okay, we, we all have something. We all have an article of clothing that we have hidden under the bed that we bring out for special occasions or daily occasions. For me, it was a t-shirt. Um, t-shirt. And that's so, a wide surface area. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I need, I, I, I need a wide surface. I like a big canvas. <laughs> um, this should have been a Pollock story. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm finishing this whiskey. So, so my my roommate and I think one or two of my other friends like knew about this because like I was I was pretty open. It, it it takes a lot to really embarrass me. I can't remember the last time I've actually been embarrassed. Um, so they they kind of knew about it, and um, so so you know I, I brought it and I had it in my prop bag and I was like I was like hey does anyone know what this is and I hold up the shirt and like every like they're like oh my god not the shirt oh my god and they're like freaking out and then I like one of my friends who knew what it was I like okay. ran at him with it he okay. was like oh god no why do your friends know what that is like I said, did they probably, find it under your bed no it probably just came up in conversation or I college. took it out or you know whatever <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. Took like, it out to it? use it when you know when you have party guests. Yeah, you, know. <laughs> you gotta entertain. Well, we'll see. That's that's the climax we're heading toward. No <laughs> Great choice of words. So so I'm walking around, and this is I think when I noticed that there's these two old ass guys, and I'm just like, oh my god, Save these guys are like, what the fuck is this? Um, one of one of my friends, he had the best answer because I was going around to everyone. It was kind of like that thing, you know, where they say, um, what's what's that 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 thing where it's like, uh, like. 80% of all people masturbate in the shower and 20% lie about it. Right. You know, it was like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was like, oh, do you have a shirt like this? And if they said no, I was like, well, then what do you come into? <laughs> you know, because it wasn't like that you have nothing. It's like, if it's not a shirt, you must be using something else. Gotcha. So one of my friends, I was like, oh, do you have a shirt like this? He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, what do you come into? He's like, a big sock. And I was like, yes, good answer. So he missed an opportunity there. I would have he missed the golden opportunity. What was the golden opportunity? I mean, take your pick. Your mom, your sister. Oh, that's true. Oh, I, I, don't, your I don't have. I don't yeah. have a shirt like this. That's my shirt too. Right. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. It's, it's that one, yeah. So Bertha. So the, the the climax of the climax shirt story is at that party that I said was at our house later that night. Um, it was one of the drunkest I've been at a party. And at one point when, you know, the party had hit a low and I thought I needed to liven things up. Now, keep in mind, like, like most of the people, except for those two old guys, at the, um, the, the variety show were all of our friends who were also at our party. So... At one point, when things were kind of dying down, and I was in my drunkenness, I was like, you know, I need to liven things up. I went in my room and I put on the shirt. Oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> See, and I'm thinking wet, but it would be like stiff. It scratched my face. Oh. <laughs> do you still have? Do you want to oh. know how I got these? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, no, I do not. Oh, oh so seminal. <laughs> does does Krista know about the shirt? Uh, probably not. Wait, is she, it she still <laughs> with us? No, no. At some point, it, we've it, upgraded it, to another shirt. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that. This, this, I don't like to talk about the present. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's no wait. Presents, presents a bit much. Yeah, but uh, what is it? The uh, um, comedy is tragedy plus time. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this comedy. Was, this is was a tragedy. tragedy All of those time. children. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so. <laughs> So, so I come out to the party, and I just scream, Hey, everybody, does anybody recognize this shirt? And everyone's like, Oh, my God! <laughs> so you call back at the after party. So, yeah, so it was just, you know, this this sort of whole string of events. that you. So anyway, um, and this is one of those things, too, like every now and then I'll be like, Oh, it'd be cool to be a stand-up comedian, but it's just like, only my friends are going to think my shit is funny, because it's always based on... You know how, like, real good comedians will do things that's going on in the news that everyone can relate to and knows and can draw on and then sort of turn it into something funny and, right. you know, sort of turn something tragic into something funny. And with me, it's only things that my friends know about that, you know, that are tragic and then I make them funny. Um, but anyway, so that was the... What was this? Oh, so it was the, the Tim Green show. That's right. Okay. So so all of that. So, so just to give you an idea of sort of what my homage to Tom Green was... Um, so then, while I was at Blockbuster... Tom Green being the man who made the movie we watched. Right. Which is what this podcast is ostensibly about. Yeah. It's just, it's hard for me to imagine people not knowing who Tom Green is. Like, even if you hated him, like, most people... Like, my mom knows who Tom Green is. She hates him, but she knows who he is. Um, and I think, was that... Was that where Andy Milanakis got his start, too? That might have been on the Tom Green show. He might have been, like, someone who he had... You don't probably Do you know who Andy Milanakis is. No. Okay. no, okay. Yeah, he he was very short lived. He was, he actually was in the movie. Um, what's the one with uh, Dane Cook and Ryan Reynolds about the uh, waiting? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. He was he was one of the stoners who was always outside, and the guy was like, "Oh, get inside!" And he had like the the dread the really bad dreads. Um, gotcha. Anyway, <sighs> digressing on a digression. So. So when, when Tom Green made this movie, um, you know, of course I wanted to see it because I was just a Tom Green fan. And you see all of these these previews and they're all like ridiculous and asinine. <clears throat> and like, you know, a lot of movies like that, you're like, well, are they only showing the best parts in the movie? And the movie's going to be terrible and super boring. And, um, and it was one of those things where, you know, probably the first time or two I saw it, you know, y- y- like you guys said, it's like, it's like sketches. But part of why this worked its way into the, the shameless... Um, pleasures is that the more I watched it, the more I saw it. it has a very cohesive narrative, and it's not it's not random at all. Like everything he's doing is ridiculous, but what is what is really kind of cool is that there's there's sort of one perspective where he's doing something ridiculous, but he thinks it's normal, and then you see the way people are reacting to it, where they're just like, "Hey, knock that shit off!" And like like the time when when his friend like breaks his leg and he's like licking the fractured bone and his dad like smacks him on the head and he's kind of like oh it kind of like snaps him out of it so we're not like this world that he's in it's not the whole world that that's crazy it's the things that he's doing and everyone kind of around him is like you're kind of a fucking idiot but then they'll they'll be that sort of where he does something 
like his idiocy leads him to do something that actually turns out well and then people will be like oh okay like when he helps the woman give birth and it's this completely chaotic scene and it's just like what the fuck and he's spinning the bait and then he hands her her child and she's like she says thank you like my baby wasn't breathing and now he's breathing you know and it's like you see that like holy shit this fucked up stuff he's doing like it actually works like it's not that it's not fucked up and it's normal in the movie like it's fucked up and stupid but but somehow it still works i found it was was really interesting at the end of that segment where he she says thank you and then he he almost he like collapses yeah under the realization that he did something right something good came of that it never had happened before yeah and that I thought was really interesting. And he he's trying to t- as he's being carried out by the police because you got to carry the guy out, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's like, I I saved the day. Yeah. I actually saved the day. Like it's as inconceivable to him. And he's trying to like, no, it was crazy, but I I, I did it. Like trying to get them to see that <clears throat> that that had happened. Yeah. And I well, feel like that was an extended metaphor for the whole thing. Is like I I can animate. This is what I meant to right. be doing. That's the whole thing with the. I've forgotten her name, but the girl he, uh, uh, Betty. Betty. Over. Thank you, Betty, because because you just they just sort of click, yeah, really quickly, mm-hmm. and even the relationship just starts to go well straight off the bat. And he stops. He's like, no, like don't. What what are you doing? Like we haven't even gone on a date, but like he means a normal date, like fancy dinner, mm-hmm. which not even you know a him date or, or a Betty date, which they would probably have a different idea of a date, but right. just like the thing that's expected of you by what is normal, mm-hmm. and he. He feels uncomfortable about that. Like, yeah. don't you want to do the normal thing? Like, mm-hmm. he, if it's odd to him that she doesn't want to do the normal thing. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting in comparison to the first interaction we have with Drew Barrymore, where he kind of just falls in love with her in a minute mm-hmm. and gushes and is like, I love you, let's get married, this whole thing. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It doesn't gel. Yeah. So he gets that slap of reality... But the slap of reality that, like, that's not how this is meant to work. And then the very next romantic interaction we have, he's learned that lesson. And he doesn't understand why it's now working when it didn't before. Yeah. Well, it's because that, like, when the thing with Drew Barrymore happens before he gets shot down by David Davidson. Right. And gives up and goes back home. And then that's when it's like, you know, yeah, you get that sort of him trying to parody what he thinks people like when he's telling I think I was telling you about that the other day the whole um yes I uh, uh Wall Street uh stocks you know it's kind of yeah, like yeah that, that scene in the restaurant with Betty yeah. he's like oh yeah of course I have a fancy high power stockbroker job that makes me wear a suit and right. here are the charts and they're very high yeah and like look at the graphs I can show you these graphs and look at this graph yeah <laughs> 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 and and um and that's one of the things that I love about the movie too and and I'll come to this in a second but Joel you actually pointed out something that I missed all the times I've seen it but when when we first see him I don't know if this is meant to be from his perspective but as, as far as like elements that tie the film together when he first comes in to talk to David Davidson he's having that sort of businessman talk like oh I don't care fuck that person blah 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 blah. you're gonna do this blah blah and that's how he's talking on the phone to Bob you're fucking fired Bob I say Geneva you hear Kelsinki like he's like oh this is how businessmen talk like he's He's learned that behavior, mm-hmm. and and he's trying to do that to you know to impress the girl and say okay this is what people do, um, but there were tons of things like that that tie the film together, um, but the one that that you caught Joel that I didn't see is at one point he's talking about he's asking his father 
for fifty dollars to buy stuff for this pretend job that he has, like like uh, pencils or a trapper keeper liquid or liquid paper or a, a thing to make a, a circle, a perfect circle, you know. And he wants like you know the compass to put a pencil in, and you make a perfect circle. And the scene at the end when he's going to to like knock his father out and take him to Pakistan, he's got the you know, spy thing, the laser cutter where he's making he carves a perfect circle of glass out. So it's like, you know, and, and Joel said it like, oh, he got his compass. He got the thing he wanted, you know. So there are all these little pieces that's just like, like, damn, like they're actually threads. Um, and the biggest one that originally made me realize that was the, the line after he fucking jerks off the elephant. When his father, when he's like, I learned something. Yes, and his father's audience, like, you heard that right. correctly. If you, Not uh, the first uh, animal that you've was seen, jerked off. You've seen, well, and that's the point. When, when he says to his father, I learned something, his father looks at the elephant and goes, yeah, I could see that. And he says, no, not just how to jerk off an elephant. Because earlier in the film, he sees at a stud ranch where they're trying to like get two horses. Horse pre- he goes over and starts jerking off one of the horses. And so he, as ridiculous as that is, though, but that quote-unquote skill that he learned earlier in the film, that's what came back at the end where it was like, oh, here's an elephant dong. I'm going to you know use it as a weapon against my father because he's trying to kill me. So it's those two those two things which seem like at the time like why the fuck is this happening like like they actually tie the film together. It has this symmetry. Like rocket, yeah, film, yeah, and um, and a lot of what you were saying earlier too, the whole thing about when he's trying to impress Betty. You know, when you think about it, up until this, like most of the feedback he's gotten has been from his father, and his father's kind of the one who was like excited to get for him to get out of the house but then once he came home like super disappointed so <clears throat> you know he's at this point where he's just like well everything i've been doing doesn't work so you know i guess like okay i've got to try that you know so so he's not prepared for feedback from a person who actually is interested in who he really is you know the way betty is you know mm-hmm. so i think that and that's again the thing that it's, it's this father and son story you know like um and, and I think I think in a lot of ways that's part of what appealed to me about this movie too is like this was at a time when I had just gotten a degree in composition I wanted to do film scoring and you know it's like oh here's this guy who lives in this other town and he's going to go to LA to try to do this creative thing but he doesn't really have an idea how to do it and it's like he he kind of gets thrown back into the world and kind of crushed and twisted and you know but somehow through that process he kind of learns this balance of okay this is what you need to do to actually be successful um and that's another brilliant part of the film is that the first scene we see him laughing at his own drawings and and like they're stupid like what he's laughing at and it's not funny like the like the beaver oh you're a stupid beaver (laughs) and he's kind of laughing but it's kind of like as he's going through these like yeah it doesn't make any sense but when he meets with david davidson like he's actually coaching him he's like it's fucking stupid like there has to be something happening that's funny and it's those moments that make me realize it's actually like a well-made film because if that were the case it would have been you know either him just being like oh get out of here you're an idiot but he's like he sees his potential but he's like this is what you have to do that you're not doing you're not telling a story like you're good at drawing but you have to tell this story and that ends up working its way into it and when he finally you know oh well my father he's a real character when his friend says that that clicks with him oh okay so i'm gonna write a story around me and my father and that's the story and that's what's happening that's funny and he goes on that journey and goes from being a guy who's pretty good at drawing but can't tell the story to actually selling his show for a million dollars you know um so yeah so that's that's me gushing about pretty good things 
<laughs> you guys can talk now. <laughs> the other thing I thought was interesting is in that first sequence where he's going up to the executive office of the animation studio, mm-hmm. everything he's doing to get up there works. Yeah. And it's completely improvisational, right? Yeah. Like he and that that I that might be why it's so such a shock to the system to be rejected, right? Is cuz this fanciful bullshit that he's been pulling has been successful up See, until that I point. Think he was surprised that his fanciful nonsense worked. Well, he, yeah, he, he seems like he didn't believe it. Like you're like, "Oh, I am mean, in this office, so okay, they're not stopping me." Like he definitely put his all into it with the guard and the elevator, but like he seemed like he didn't really think he'd get there. Like he didn't think it'd be real. But what I'm saying is like he as that kept happening, it set up the expectation for, "Okay, if everything is going so well, mm-hmm. This should be just as easy. This is something I've actually prepared, right? Yeah. Like, this is stuff that I know and I think is funny, so I'm going to s- present that. And then it, he's, like, he's trying to tell him that, like, it's an inside joke. That's the problem. Back to the stand-up uh, analog you were talking about. The mm-hmm. idea that it's funny to him and his friends, right? Mm-hmm. So he was trying to tell those jokes as if they, he was already in on them, right. and it didn't work. Yeah. So it was a really interesting, like, improv working up until that point where he had something prepared and then it just falling to shit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, yeah, what you were saying about him doing this improvisation and that kind of getting him through, um, and it happens until he meets David Davidson. And, again, another great line where he's like, you think you're going to come in here dressed like a fucking English Bobby and show me these drawings and we'll give you a show? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like he was totally expecting that. Like, yeah, you're gonna think this is funny. You're gonna give me a million dollars. I'm gonna have a show. And I'm gonna be an animator. You know, like that. That that was kind of like, like to me, that was probably one of the greatest moments in the film because it was sort of what snapped him out of wherever he was stuck, and he came crashing down. But that's what leads him to build himself back up. But but Davidson also gives him sort of the the beginnings of the tools he needs to build himself back up. Like, this is what you're good at, this is what you suck at, this is what you have to get better at. And that whole trial that he has to go through is kind of him, you know, building his story and having that story to tell to be able to, you know, and, you know, it's one of those things, like, maybe if that hadn't happened, you know, Zebras in America never would have gotten made because he wouldn't have had as much conflict with his father. Um, I mean, we don't know, we don't see conflict with his father beforehand, it's only after he comes home, but, um, but, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I said I was going to let you guys talk. No, we kind, of do, we kind of do see the conflict with his father beforehand, because when he drives off, his father is so relieved yeah. to be rid of him. <clears throat> well, he's 28, yeah. <laughs> Buys a little bearing. Wasn't white. So, can we talk about the... <sighs> I just, I don't even know what part of the movie you're going to say, but I'm dreading it. And I, it doesn't matter what it is, it's going to be the same. It's a metal part. Yes, talk about the Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Animal masturbation comes back and it's got this symmetry. The fuck did we need the child molestation shit for? I don't like I, I know that's that's a weird part. thing for me to be prudish and be like that's my line. Mm-hmm. But but it's kind of an important line like to be, like to just a throwaway kind of like he's molesting my younger brother as a thing that doesn't have any re- repercussions and is like there's a whole hospital for all these kids that's like it's not even implied it's said that they're all oh, sexually all harassed and it just seemed like the product of that culture who laughed 
at Monica Lewinsky and didn't see her as a victim? Is that am I totally off base with that kind of <clears throat> criticism? Um, no, and to to sort of pivot slightly, and I apologize. It was interesting that he the reason the character chose to do that partly because it was something that finally gave him some power over his father to, to push some consequence onto his father but partly because I mean they took it seriously even though Freddy was 25 as a present day thing not as a past thing right um, but that the big one of the big issues around child sexual abuse is the psychological the lasting psychological trouble as far as trauma whatever term which which Gordy had been suffering not from sexual abuse but just from from their relationship was was just hurtful and damaging and and awful for him on a mental level for his sense of of personhood and his sense of self-worth and it didn't matter and no one cared but as soon as he shifted it to his brother and made it physical the whole world cared Yeah, that, yeah, that never kind of occurred to me. Yeah, that like he had to, yeah, make up. Uh, yeah, it had to be about someone else, and it had to be physical instead of like, oh, well, he's just that's just a dad being yeah. a dad. It's because tough they, love. It's they, like they had that up. whole conversation yeah. with the with the therapist who was saying about you know your son just wants some affirmation of his existence and his worth as a person, and his father just blah, 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 doesn't even doesn't even blink. The therapist doesn't seem to do much about it, but the moment he says, well, he thinks it's right. Everything lights up. That was his only... I don't, I don't have a phrase, but his only... The only thing that got any kind of reaction to how how damaging it had been living in that house with their relationship. And not, not to imply that he should have left or... You know, I mean, every, all, all, all relationships are complicated. You know, it's not, not all black and white. But regardless, you know, the way his father had treated him was not very good throughout most of the film and it's all just kind of business as usual for everyone else until that moment I know it's not really about the how how how, how big a part that played in the film so I, that's why I made my pivot and I'm yeah. sorry Joel but it, <clears throat> it really sort of hit home of like oh because even otherwise you know Freddy, at- yeah. Using it as a stark contrast to show the depth of the trauma of that relationship. I understand like I, I could see that. And the apathy of the rest of the world. Because right. to them he was just weird. And it's not like this guy's using f- subtle fucking tools. Everything's a sledgehammer. So for him to use something so extreme for that end doesn't it fits, right? Like mm-hmm. with his MO. Yeah. It just seem especially recently in the headspace I've been at about these kinds of things oh, was yeah. like very pointed and like this is not fucking funny yeah well and I think part of, and not to make an excuse but I think at least the small distinction is that like I think it would have been across the board not okay if he had actually been molested and if they were making a joke of that right because the fact that he wasn't so there wasn't there wasn't trauma on Freddie's part sort of related to that um, again, you're right. They do reference. They have this whole school of the, you know, like the molested children that they take them to, which was sort um, of part of the joke. I mean, whether it was funny or not, separate. That they took the accusation very seriously, and then did took the kid out of the home, and then did nothing. 
tucked them in the school. All the kids sat around and watched TV, and yeah. that was it. We yeah. never heard from them again, except at the very end, when nothing had changed yeah, except Freddie had grown a beard. Yeah, because there was to show there that was, time had passed. Yeah, so there was this stark, almost a commentary of sorts, on the focus being on the initial. I don't know, the initial accusation. Mm-hmm. And then with no care for the aftermath. The other thing that's fucked up is that Freddy also is suffering from psychological trauma as the second son who's actually doing what his dad and, wants and him to do. And though, they don't give a fuck about him. Yeah. yeah. Even though, because he's the success. And they think they can just, that's just his state of being, so yeah. they can ignore <clears> it. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. yeah. Squeaky wheel gets a different kind of aggression. <laughs> yeah. That's like that. That was really the only criticism I had yeah. was that kind of trivializing of that. Yeah. Um, and I it is definitely a product of its era, right? Like right. that that gives it a not a pass, but it explains it to a certain extent. Speaking of which, when yeah. was this made again? It it had to have been like Cause very I, late '90s, early 2000s. Cause I think it. I can't remember if the movie was actually out while I was still in college because I remember you know it being a big it must have come out in like 2001 2002 because I think it came out while I was working at Blockbuster 2001 okay so yeah it was like I remember being there so it must have been like maybe it came out in the theaters like when I was still in college but then it was like what came out on video as I was in um, working at Blockbuster Um, but and yeah, and I think that's part of it. Again, not, to, not that it's like an excuse for it, like, oh, it's okay because it was a different time. But I think at that time, it wasn't like they didn't realize it was wrong. You know, so again, not that it wasn't wrong during that time, but they, there wasn't that awareness of like, hey, this is a sensitive topic that we shouldn't do this about. I definitely and, didn't think know. this was made in 2001, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. My guess would have been at the newest, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Maybe the mid-90s, because of the skateboardy bits. Mm-hmm. But then we don't really see a lot of technology. I mean, I guess we see the cell phone at the beginning in the restaurant. But yeah, but notice the only but one with an actual cell phone is, is the, the big man. business guy you Other know, than that, making the deals. We see home phones mounted to walls with, mm-hmm. with, with sometimes with cords. Yeah. And they talk about a fancy computer job, but in vague terms. Right. And the way people talked about magical computers in the 80s, even, yeah. you know? And he's driving a LeBaron. Yes. Like. <laughs> So, I, I thought this movie was older than it was. Right. And that's the, the other thing I, I want to well, say about it. they do it, live in Portland, don't they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Ooh, really Zing. stuck it to Portland. <laughs> stuck it, pun. Um, the, the, the distance that they put between, like, he's 25, right? There's a clear age gap between him and the, the whole kid. Like, the idea is that it's so ridiculous that, like... Freddy. Freddy is 25. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't make me feel good inside. Yeah. That's not to say I didn't like this. And I was I I was really girded for like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Because I was thinking it would be like Big Mouth, which I watched two episodes with you guys. And I was like, <laughs> I, guys, I can't, do, I can't this. do this next to you. But then I watched it by myself and it was okay. I don't know. Like, I have this weird prudish part of my body, I guess, still. But like... I thought this was really funny and really clever, and they, they, the things that were happening that were ridiculous and surreal were odd. Like I really like that aesthetic, 
him playing the sausage keyboard is fucking hilarious. That's that's one of the funniest. <laughs> th- I wish I hadn't seen it in the trailer, right? Because it was such a cool, like a great payoff. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that's the great part is like you see it in in the trailer and it looks so random and stupid, but when you see what leads up to it, when you know he's trying to make sense of like I don't know how to do it, you know, oh well maybe you should take a break and listen to some music or have something to eat. And I only have two hands. How can I work on my drawings and eat and listen to music? And that was his solution to that. You know, that was his way of, you know, multitasking, you know. And, you know, it's almost like a beautiful metaphor for that. Like, this is our society. Like, you should be doing all of these three things at once if you want to succeed. And it's like, well, how do I do that? It's impossible. I guess I have to build this stupid contraption so I can eat, listen to music, and draw at the same time, you know. Um, Of course, you know, he could have listened to a radio. He didn't have to be playing the music on the keyboard. But... Um, but it's not as funny that way. Right. But, but I mean, again, like the way his brain works and the way he kind of pieced these elements together. Um, and like, like I said, yeah, the metaphor of it is like, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I don't have time to, to work my job and sleep and do my creative endeavors and eat. Oh, well, just, you know, try to do them all at the same time. Like, okay, like, all right, what does that look like? And they build a machine that allows me to, you know, deliver mail and compose music and eat food and sleep, you know. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's like, even though you knew it was coming, there was a weird sort of satisfaction that it like, it made sense of it retroactively, mm-hmm. you know. Um. Him working at the cheese sandwich factory <laughs> is, is hilarious. It's so good. And it's just like so simple and silly. Just this conveyor belt of sandwiches. And it's like... <sighs> It's really, it's pretty sophisticated uh, commentary on the fast food industry, right? Like this it's, factory. It's Lucy in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it, it just, that was really, it's fucking hilarious. It made me laugh. Yeah. But then again, that comes back later. You right. Know, he gets a job working, must have experience with cheese sandwiches. Like, oh, I can get this job. I have, an exper- I have experience here. Scott, you haven't said much. <laughs> Well, it does occur to me, we saw in the the menu something about a cheese helmet. Oh, yeah. Does that actually appear in the film? Or it was in the, one the of the outtakes. deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. At the end. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because we were just talking about the cheese factory bit from the film, from the mm-hmm. beginning of the film. And I'm yeah. sitting here going, wait, did I miss that? Right, no, yeah. okay. Right, no, at the end. <clears throat> Which I thought was kind of cool, because that was probably of all the previews, that was one of my least favorite. You know, the one I thought the was the least helmet. funny. Yeah, the specific, you can't hurt me, not with my cheese helmet. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. But but that part isn't in the movie. And you're like, oh, okay, what we see instead is way funnier when he's got this, and this is what inspired that You can't that stop bit, me you know? from being me. Yeah, where he's he's standing on the conveyor belt with this giant sausage between his legs, and it's slowly bringing him <laughs> by this other worker, and the sausage just hits her in the face, and she just slowly moves out of the way as it comes by, and just unfazed and goes back to work. And yep, same <laughs> worse. Same shit, different day mm-hmm. in the cheese making factory. Yep. Same shit, different sausage. <laughs> same sausage, different day? and i think that's sort of the great thing too you know metaphor is one of the things i feel like i talk about endlessly on this podcast but you know you know my idea that like the the closer to reality a story is the harder it is to find metaphor because i feel like when you can relate to something on more of a surfacey level you're not going to look for these deeper meanings and i feel like because of this 
because of so much how much ridiculousness there is in this film it, it, it it's really easy i think to create metaphor like that scene like here's this woman working on an assembly line and here comes this sausage that's just in her face and she just gets out of the way of it let the sausage go by and get back to work like you know like there's there's tons of metaphors you can pull out of that you know or, or tons of, you know tons of meaning you can pull out of that metaphor um and I feel like there's a ton of stuff like that, you know, and like, you know, like I said, the, the story of the father and son, like, you know, all this ridiculous shit that he's doing, like, even though many people don't do that shit, but I feel like there is that, um, that, uh, that, that tension and drama between fathers and sons, you know, the father wanting the son to get the job so he can be proud of him and the son wanting the father to be proud of who he is and what he wants to do and that that's valid and, and him trying to find his validity in the world and things like that. Um, but, but again, the way you're seeing it is ridiculous. It's just like, oh, well, I don't want my father to be proud of me for cutting open a deer and wearing its skin in the middle of the road and getting hit by a Mack truck. But, you know, that's, but that's him. That's his way of being, you know, who he is. How did I forget about that scene? <laughs> I don't know. Until this I right forget about it. minute. Like, <laughs> holy crap. I really enjoyed that scene, actually. I did, too, and I don't know how... <laughs> Watching him get hit by the truck and defy laws of physics was beautiful. Yeah. The other thing is, like, he felt what that deer felt when he died. Like, he actually did he got it. Got inside like, the animal. Yeah. Like, he, 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 his eyes went wide, deer in the headlight. It yeah. happened. Like, yeah. it worked. How did that work? Like, that's why he says, I didn't expect that to happen. Because yeah. it's sort of like, he didn't expect it to work. He yeah. didn't expect anything to come of this. Yeah. But it happened exactly the way it should have. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think part, like, because the deer is already dead, it's not like he hunts it down and kills this deer, and you're like, oh, he murdered a deer. He just plays with its corpse. Yeah. And, and I think the, the <laughs> fact yeah, that... Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you do. The fact that all the other woodland creatures are just watching this happen gives it this, like, distorted Disney kind of right. thing. Like Cinderella <laughs> with the birds helping her get dressed. It's like, oh, the raccoon's watching him play around in the deer guts, you know? Like, it's <laughs> Disney, you know? <laughs> Ah, uh, twisted Disney. <clears throat> Happy tree friends. I think that's what they're playing the song to. I like to teach the, the world, world to sing. Yep. Perfect harmony. It's like, oh yeah, you know, him and the deer, they're trying to perfect harmony. <laughs> uh, he went all tauntaun on that deer. <laughs> How? What, warm. what? Thank you. I was about <laughs> to make the joke. Sometimes you just need the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> A good slogan for this movie. Mm. Lukewarm. No, sometimes you just need the punchline. Well, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's another thing too. In that one of those deleted scenes where they go back and show that scene, and he's just rolling around, and he just kind of stands up and like lets the guts fall, and he's like, "What the fuck are we doing?" Walks <laughs> <laughs> so away. Like, he, he knows. He's like, "This is stupid." Like, <laughs> you know, and he writes the characters around him to be like, "What are you doing? This is stupid." You know. <laughs> I, I think I'm that's just, the longest silence we've ever had in one of these podcasts. I just, I'm about to say the words, the scene in which he caned the quadriplegic. Paraplegic. Paraplegics. But does that make it better? <laughs> so, so Betty, yeah. right, to feel I can't something. Get a on her name. Yeah. She has a fetish. Oh, some fetishes, apparently. Obviously, yeah. the one is she likes being hit Cane. on the shins. Yeah. 
uh, he uses a cane, he uses a riding crop, presumably other things at other points that we mm-hmm. don't see, and that's how she gets off. Yeah. Um, which is certainly, there are definitely weirder things out there mm-hmm. in the world of sex. Um, yeah, that's pretty basic impact play. As far as sex thing. goes. But it, but regardless. As far as sex goes. Regardless. <laughs> as, so, this is as far as yeah, sex goes. It's <laughs> still unusual. It's still, to, to, to meet with the rest of the film, not normal. Mm-hmm. That's another reason he and Betty connect. Right. Because she's also not normal, but she seems to find her way without much issue. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems to have it all figured out. You know, where she can be not normal and where she has to sort of rein it in. And it's something that Gordon has struggled with and continues to struggle with. Mm-hmm. But it's another reason he doesn't quite believe it when she's in his life in any capacity. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's no, like I spent all of my existence not even just being told, but having the world, even when it's being nice, it's still reacting as if he is wrong. You know, even when people aren't going to say anything to him or go up to him, they they avoid him. You know, they look mm-hmm. away. So there he is, this woman who doesn't care about any of that. And I mean, we talked about this, but it just it blows his mind. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about Gordon, right, or Gordy. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. Gordy, his brother Freddy, and Betty all constitute like the the spectrum of success in quotation marks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Freddy does what his dad wants him to do, and is has a job, not living at home, but still going there for breakfast. Like he has this this level of like domestic mm-hmm. success, and then Betty has the job at the the nurse's office. An emptiness of passion for Freddy, mm-hmm. right? But then she has this yeah. thing that she's really excited about doing this rocket thing, and she balances the two, and she's successful, right? And then we have Gordy, who goes all the way the other direction and just wants to do his passion, and ends mm-hmm. up being successful at that. So, like the pre- the presentation of the spectrum of success is also another layer to this putrid onion. <laughs> <laughs> You know what was great about that kid who keeps getting his getting brained on everything? Oh, that's right. They haven't talked about that kid Well, yet. this kid. <laughs> and as, he's, as, as Gordy's driving home back to Portland from Hollywood, the kid runs to the street to say hi to him, and he stops the car. It's completely stopped. And the kid trips and just crunches his face onto the side of the car. It's blood everywhere. And so later in the film, he gets hit in the face constantly. Baseball, wine bottle, I, <sighs> and and... What was great about that is that we see that kid in the beginning, when Gordy first leaves to Hollywood. Yeah. He's in the street, mm-hmm. he says goodbye, sort of jogs with the car for a second and waves as he goes, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Perfectly normal interaction. Yeah. Which meant that when that started happening, it was all the better. Because if they'd established him as the kid who gets hit in the face from the start, <clears throat> I would have stopped caring partway through. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, he's going to hit in the face again. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it was, oh yeah, that kid... Oh yeah, that kid who likes to go crunch. Oh, <laughs> so like when it happened again, it was still oh. And then the third time, like oh, they're making this a thing, and so it gave it the legs it needed to get to the end of the film. Mm-hmm. So when I was like, oh, kids in a scene, what's gonna happen to him? He ran into a propeller, a prop engine. Of a Did plane. you hear him at the end? He says, "I'm, I'm okay." okay. Dad. And I went, "How?" <laughs> that was like that's Indiana Jones one. Yeah, that that's yes. that's a death. That's an iconic death. <laughs> That's one Indy couldn't look at. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be something that'd be a cool thing to kind of analyze to kind of map 
and I'm trying to do it quickly in my head and see if I can catch something really quick and have an aha moment. But like, you know, like you said, the first time you see him, he's fine. Nothing Second time you see him. him, boom, smashes his head into the car, blood everywhere. I think the is it the next time when when his dad throws the baseball and hits him in the face, and then you see like when they show him close up, he's got like he's at dinner and his dad throws the well uh, oh yeah gordon's dad gordon's dad throws yeah, the throws bottle, bottle at him and smacks the kid so is that in the before face. Or after that? that's before the baseball okay. i thought so because yeah. the the teeth were like towards the end mm-hmm. like because every hit gets worse yeah <laughs> well the first one he's like pasted in blood just yeah. they had to establish him as this normal kid yeah because yeah that was great and it was like that's what I loved every time you go, oh god, what's gonna happen to this kid now? And I love the one in the restaurant too, where it's like it's his birthday. birthday. He's eating cake. And he's like, and he's and when he's like, oh, you know, the father offers, really? Can I have cake? It's like, sure, it's your birthday. Of course you can have cake. Like, oh yeah. And then you see like the interaction with the dad, and it's like, oh god, what's gonna happen? And then the dad walks off. It's like, okay, just happy fine. birthday. Go and then the limo. <laughs> And that's one of the things I think is funny too. Like the going with the baseball, it's like his own father who does it, but he's doing it because he's like angry at the interaction that he's seeing when it's you know Gord and his his father, right? And like they're swearing and shouting, and he's like, "Oh God, I can't believe my son has to witness this!" And then hucks the baseball, and that's what it just smashes him in the. But mouth. he's not looking. Yeah, and neither is the kid. The kid's <laughs> looking at the argument. So bam. That's the thing. Like none of it's malicious. It's all accidental, yeah. right? That's the th- like. Kid and it... trips and hits the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon's dad throws the wine ball like Gordy. Yeah, misses. He, uh, yeah. Uh, Dad's not looking. Throws the ball at son. Not looking. Yeah. And blink, and then. Yeah, then the prop. <laughs> yeah. I feel moist after watching this. <laughs> just like, not in a di- like, not in a dirty way. I just feel wet and uncomfortable. <laughs> like John Mulaney. Like yes. humidity in the East Coast. <laughs> like a dolphin, my back. Mm-hmm. Uh. There aren't movies like this. Right. Not even this one. Doesn't exist. There aren't right. any. I d- it, yeah. The closest thing, and like this is the highest praise I can give anything, is Python. This mm-hmm. is like Flying Circus in yeah. its surrealness. And it's just, it's that 2000s American gross-out thing. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that's different, and it just pushes it in that direction yeah. like there's so it's like meaning uh, of life python yeah i was thinking more like um uh, mr creosote yeah. yeah more like lebowski in that it sets out to tell a story which is the story of in the case of Freddy got fingered the cartoonist struggling finding his way mm-hmm. and in the meantime it just does whatever it wants mm-hmm. just stuff happens and makes no sense and threads get dropped and then picked up again and then but then at the end, you it all sort of all came together mm-hmm. somehow, and you're not sure how, but it did. Yeah. You know, different styles certainly, completely different styles. But yeah, I mean, Lebowski starts as just this guy in debt, and there's the whole thing with the carpet, and then there's a murder, or next there's not a murder, and then she's missing, and then she isn't, and then there are all the nihilists to show up, and there's the whole right. bowling thing, and but at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all comes together. It all comes together. Yeah. So it's like, oh. 
Yeah, there was actually like when I was uh, uh, doing my master's here, the, I, there, there's a term for it, I can't remember, but like when I was studying um, with one of my composition teachers and I was working on this piece and I had all these different ideas, you know, and part of what I would do is like, okay, here's one phrase that's eight bars and then here's this other phrase for eight bars and then this third phrase that's eight bars and we're gonna do this phrase and this phrase and this phrase. And I forget what the term is called, but he's basically saying this idea where you kind of break the phrases up and kind of like interlace them. So you're getting a portion of phrase A, then a portion of phrase B, then a portion of phrase C, then another portion of phrase A. So it's like this kind of continuation with all these pieces that are broken up. And then over time, you're getting smaller and smaller pieces, which are kind of building this momentum to when all of the phrases sort of conclude together into this one like unified thing. Um, and I feel like it's a, yeah, it's a lot like that. You're kind of presented with these kind of big picture things that don't seem to relate. But then the more we kind of come back and forth between all of them, they all kind of like piece together. Almost like Tarantino, but without the jumping through time. You know, it's still mm -hmm. linear, but like the, you know, yeah, how like with, with like Pulp Fiction, there are like different Pulp stories Fiction, that are yeah. happening. And you're like, oh, what do these random stories have to do with each other? Or even Kill Bill. But, yeah. Which they're less random in Kill Bill, but they, mm -hmm. they jump around. The more we talk about this, the stronger the stand up alibi analogy works for me like comedy mm -hmm. the idea of improv and then the idea of kind of weird ideas but you go along with it to see where it's going mm -hmm. and then they drop it for a while and then they call back to it and it's all the more satisfying as mm -hmm. a result of that that's yeah. <clears throat> did Green never do stand up I don't know I feel I like he would have done if improv obviously but I mean whose line is it anyway yeah, like I'm trying to think of. I mean, I can't. Who got fingered anyway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right, it's not title. What's in a name? Well, and it's and it's one of those Rose things too. Rose still smells sweet. <laughs> um, you know, like like to me, it makes it seem more like real life. You know, and I I I feel like sometimes that's a criticism of of things from a storytelling point of view because storytelling we want it to be neat and concise but like life doesn't work that way you know like we have a thread that starts in our life that may get dropped for five years and then something triggers us like a return to that thing which you know we couldn't have picked up where we left off and gone where we're going with that if all the things in the past five years hadn't happened to set us on this new direction with that thread. You know, you've you touched know. on something that I was actually just thinking about earlier today by coincidence. Mm -hmm. I saw a World War One movie adapted from a famous book, famous not in the U.S., I don't think, called Testament of Youth mm -hmm. by a apparently famous author. I'm way too young for all this, but um, it was very good. But I was just thinking, it didn't, it was, it was excellent, but it didn't satisfy me. Mm -hmm. In the way a storytelling type story does, right. no, I, you know, three act structure and 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 you know, climax into resolution and mm -hmm. no loose ends and yada yada yada. But it didn't have those things, not because of any any fault of the makers or any poor writing, but because it was this person's real life. Right. It was her auto. It was autobiographical. Yeah. The story. Mm -hmm. So it really happened. So the stuff that seemed stranger than fiction really happened. The stuff mm -hmm. that seemed cliche really happened, right. and the stuff that was satisfying really happened, and the stuff that was. Boring. Was boring really <laughs> happened and the stuff that was dropped and never mentioned again really happened and yeah. it struck me that because of the lack of control we have in real life real life stories although they have an ability to reach in and grip us more deeply mm -hmm. than stories that don't feel realistic 
Right. They also tend to be less satisfying. Mm-hmm. Just less. I don't know. I don't really have a word, but. But yeah, just because that's the nature of life, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. storytelling. We have control over every aspect, so we can put it together into a nice little package. Mm-hmm. But real life is not like that. Right. And in the way that Freddy Got Fingered attempts to. To not fictionalize, but sort of embellish a real life journey, mm-hmm. it certainly has that that sort of that sense of just Chaos. disconnected, mm-hmm. sort of loosey goosey feel. Yeah, but, but it's very you, dreamlike. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but you're absolutely right that the limitations, I guess, of a real life told as a story mm-hmm. change what you're able to feel about the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that's frustrating about movies like this is that people who dismiss them out of hand because it's gross or, like, mm-hmm. bloody or, like, vulgar... Yeah. Like, we're, there's a lot in this film, and it does a lot. And it's this huge metaphor, and it has this symmetry. But, they're like, the access of people who are going to watch it, like, the gross-out stuff is going to appeal to a different audience than, like the academics that are going to pull it to pieces and like mm-hmm. right we've talked about this before about changing your language and your thinking from this is worthless to this has no value to me right. mm-hmm. you know that, but that's the thing like this this would have value to people right sure. like i i that's, that's what completely right. believe that, that. that like it, if someone else didn't like it it's not them not liking it that's the problem it's them then dismissing any potential value it could have to anyone else on Earth. Because of that's what it's wrapped in yeah. or right. soaked in or right. drenched in. <laughs> or sprayed with. Or sprayed with. Why was it so chunky? Can we just... Oh. This is going to be a not safe for work episode, listeners. Aren't they always? We... That's fair. Uh, I was... Can I just say how happy I was when Shaq appeared? Right. Yes. Oh, watching Joel's reaction oh. to that. It oh took me God. like an entire three seconds to go, wait, 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 that's Shaq. <laughs> Best cameo ever. That, that I think, signaled the turnaround in his acting career. This was like post-Kazam. It had to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, my great. God. Yeah. I'm because... bringing Kazam to the podcast, boys. <laughs> that was great because he... Freddy... Freddy, um... Gordy tells his mom when he's doing the whole dead finger Freddy thing. Yeah. Run away, satisfy your sexual urges. Yeah. Have sex with and basketball players. There she is. Yeah. With Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. That's the like, thing is oh, he says the line, have did. sex with basketball players. Like yeah. and Greeks, but you know, they never know for the Greeks, but <laughs> We we don't see her for a while. She yeah. could have made she the vanishes. <laughs> and there she is, in bed with Shaq. <laughs> And that's the best part too, is that Shaq's the one getting jealous because she's watching the TV. With can her she? Son. Can her son and this? former husband this, being this. held hostage in Pakistan? Yeah, you're still in love with your husband. So th- that was kind of a great bait and switch. Is like he has the construction crew come to the house, and I'm thinking he's gonna build like a fucking ramp, like right, like he's gonna demolish yeah. the house. The dad's gonna. Uh. He also kept his dad in a fucking coma for like a week. <laughs> What the fuck? <sighs> but he uproots the house, transports it to Pakistan, One puts it on this crane. Really? But why? Why did he go to Pakistan? Because that's what his dad said. Because that's if you had been born in Pakistan, you would have been sewing soccer balls. And rah, rah, and it's like, well, here we well, go. Well, dad, now we can sew yep. some soccer balls together. You got together. your dream, dad. I was born in, you know. Uh, 
Oh, that was the other thing too that I was I was I forgot about the whole like the well now that I know uh, that it's it was Buster Keaton who did this move the yeah. whole house falling and him being yeah. standing right in the right spot so he comes through the window <laughs> and it's hard because of when this was made it's hard to tell like that scene the hostage scene was definitely an homage to the Deer Hunter a movie called oh, the Deer okay. Hunter yeah, 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 um, but that Buster Keaton thing with falling through the window has become so ubiquitous mm-hmm. in the decades since. That that's a little harder to tell. Was that direct homage, or just, you know, to Keaton himself, yeah. or just this thing that is standard and sort of in the catalog as a classic move? Yeah, well, yeah, like because I I had seen Chaplin do it, so I thought Chaplin was the one who originated it. You know, right. so maybe that was the thing. Maybe he saw either Chaplin or someone who had seen Chaplin done it and recreated it. And then we saw it in Looney Tunes, yeah, constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it. Something like that happens in Sin and the Rain at some point, maybe during Make Them Laugh. Mm. But, you know, it, yeah, it happens yeah. all over the place, everywhere, mm-hmm. to the point where you can't necessarily tell where someone picked it up from right. anymore. Mm-hmm. What this movie does with slapstick is actually really interesting. Because everything Gordy does that's physically violent that could hurt him, mm-hmm. he walks away like Bugs Bunny unscathed. That's true. Yeah. Right? He gets hit by a, a, a bus or a back truck. He gets kicked by an elephant. And he's fine. <laughs> he brushes him. Are you okay? I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? But the kid is getting beat to shit. When he canes Betty in the face, it hurts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's all of these. When his friend breaks his leg. <laughs> right. There's a whole bunch of physical gag comedy but around him, him mm-hmm. that actually has real world comp. Consequences and pain, and you see the blood and the gore, and like what would happen if slapstick was real, mm-hmm. and then he just dances through it fine. <laughs> That's a, another really interesting contrast. And it, he's got to be super bright to be setting up all this stuff up. Like, this, this can't for all of these things to be true, it has to be by design. Like, there's this would not erupt out of chaos, out of randomness, right? Like, right. just made a creationist argument for this film. <laughs> Who would have thought we'd get so much out of a film called Freddy Got Fingered? Me. Tim that's, why I mean, that's why he brought it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, too, because I remember, um, you know, without delving too much into the... the the origin of the title on on that side of it but i just remember when the, the movie came out like i didn't know what it was referring to either you know and you see the film and you're just like oh my god and like when the film is being advertised on blockbuster tv in this family show and it's like blah blah freddie got fingered you know and it's like this super fun you know the movie voice and you're like yeah and it shows like i think the title and it's being pushed into place by a bunch of fingers and right. it's just like yeah this is this funny thing you know and I remember my dad even being like, yeah, like, I thought it was like, you know, like, he, he got sort of accused, you know, like, right. oh, you know, like, oh, I fingered a guy, you know, and it's right. like, Like a nope, college party like, or yeah. high school party that, man, what do you got, finger the rumor that follows him or something. Yeah, and it's like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, and it was a weird turn, like, when that happens, it's like, oh, this has a really dark, sinister tone, like, is this what we're going to focus on now? Mm-hmm. And it pivots away from it like it, it just it, it happens and then yeah like it's very strange yeah see now that now that you brought my attention to that like part of me wants to think more about that like what the and, and this is the thing i feel like like i was about to say i want to think about what 
the commentary about that part is. But then I'm sure most people are like, there's no fucking commentary. It's all random and stupid. And it's like, well... Everything you know, else is deliberate. Yeah, like, you know, if, if it was... Like, yes, there's reading into things, but there, like, there are too many things that I think are blatant, you know? Right. Um, but, like, also the fact that, like, one of the things when they're in this, this, this home for these molested children... They show them all watching TV, and it's like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Or one of those. It's the one where, like, the girl gets hung on a hook. So mm. it's just, like, you see this glimpse of, like, when he puts her on the hook, and then she's just hanging there screaming. And it's like, this is what these kids are watching. And, I mean, at first glance, what I would say is it's this, kind of what we were talking about. The fact that it was, like, there was this instant action of, we need to take this, this poor boy away from his father. But then he's kind of thrown in the, the home and forgotten about. You know, so much so that no one's even watching what these kids are watching on TV, you know. Um, maybe it's a commentary about how desensitized they are because of what happened to them, that they can watch this film and not really care. They're just or completely, you know... Normalized violence, yeah. right? You can see blood and gore with no... like, And then any sexual content is, like, super taboo. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, it, it almost kind of reminds me, too, like I've seen a bunch of memes to this effect where... Um, what is it? It's the one where it's like there are those two uh, North Star and there's another character in the comics who they're, they're two guys who get married and the meme is like if you have a problem with your kid seeing this but you don't have a problem with your kid seeing this and it was like the Punisher blowing someone's head off it's like you are a terrible parent and I, you know so I wonder if some of it has to do with like what we choose to think is fucked up and what isn't fucked up you know um you know that they're you know obviously yes they should be upset that these kids were molested but they're like yeah they can watch horror films we don't care that's that's not as long as it's not this one thing it's okay if it's it's like no they shouldn't be watching that either like you know we're, like yeah where where is there an adult the only adult there is freddy you know right. like no one's watching these kids you know that's a sort of i want commentary is too strong a word but there's a long history in the u.s in our visual media of being more worried about sexual content than about violence. Yeah. Prostitution. And I. Yes, and I would think also, and this comes from some loose discussions in the film classes I took, not from any real scholarly examination, but to a certain extent, World War Two. Um, well, yeah, you have to be because violence has to be okay when you're in a time of well, war. Yeah, and because World War Two was such a big, obviously a big real life event, duh, um, but also it was a big cinematic event and a big media event especially in american media for a very long i mean still is of mm -hmm. course we still make stuff oh yeah but for a while it was even bigger and so violence up to a point had to be okay somehow mm -hmm. and that sort of that was the baseline that was needed i guess with oh well if this is okay then it was the relative point by which everything else was judged mm -hmm. and it gave violence a foot in the door to social acceptability, mm -hmm. um, whereas sexual content didn't really have that, you know. Yeah. They were an all It wasn't. It wasn't the Battle of Shroot Farms. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, Joel. No, that was a good okay. reference. I was just like, I, I appreciated it. Okay, I just I wasn't sure if I needed to explain it. No, I yeah. But you know that certainly at least held some amount of influence. Well, I think to a certain extent, like post-Summer of Love, 70s Free Love movement and the advent of AIDS, like the the tightening of the, the I don't know, the, the asshole of America basically about sexuality and like 
we can't encourage this because there's a plague. There's a gay plague, <laughs> right? Which Any they, kind of they called it that, right? The sexual promiscuity is yeah, going to lead phrase. to your death. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be clear here. Yeah. So it's it, not it, something Joel is coining out. No, not at all. That's like, a real phrase. Yeah. So it, it's not fake news. Right. That's a whole a very interesting topic. I wonder about how much about you know physical acceptance and sexual culture it coming out of the Vietnamish pushback against the institution like I wonder how much that hurt that movement when the desperate need to be against the institution went away that was a very clumsily formed evidence and that's not really podcast related I just, <laughs> well, no, but, this, the, uh... I, you know in terms of this thing that you know, because there was to, 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 to grossly oversimplify, you know, you had the, the older people and the, the adults and the government sending our soldiers to Vietnam and, and repressing the kids in expression, and, you know, and then you had the kids and they're, they're rock and roll. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But, you know, and they're, but there were a lot of things thrown into that other movement, a lot of things, some of which were related, some, like, like the whole free love and the hippies and whatnot, and some of which were not. <laughs> And some of which just happened to intermingle out of a common sense of not being accepted. But as the need for the strength in that movement, the strength of that pushback went away, or maybe not need, but as the thing itself went away, as we shifted to the 80s. Well, I mean, like, you know, how, how much w- of that. When you mis- mix the civil rights mm-hmm. movement with free love, with psychotropic drugs, with free speech free expression of more new wave ideas and then you fucking kill a president on national TV like not like killed that sounds conspiracy (laughs) but JFK dying Mm -hmm. the heart of this young new free thought youthful exuberance that fucked us up (laughs) Mm. to a certain extent the us versus them sort of Stopped, not stopped, but diminished. Once you you stretch into what would be the eighties, because there was still us and there was still them, but it was much less out in the open and much less head to head clashy. Um, I think JFK dying you know. was a big part of that. Is that you can't really fight against the authority when the authority's dead and like you're trying to put the psyche of America back together. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that was a unifying force post-70s into the 80s. JFK died in the early 60s. Was it 60s? Yeah. Then I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> That's confusing me here. But anyway, the, my, you know, my point being that then a lot of those things that were gaining a lot of their steam from that, that head butting heads, when the butting heads stopped, how many of those things just sort of went, eh, they've lost their energy? How many of those movements or ideas just sort of lost their energy because they were no longer a part of the larger counterculture? Because people talk about how weird it was, the things that were, I won't say accepted, but more openly talked about <laughs> during those times about people, you know, Woodstock and whatnot, mm-hmm. that were at least more in the public eye, and how they just sort of went away. Sexual acceptance in particular, since we're talking about film here and sex versus violence. You know, I wonder, and I'm asking, I'm not like, you know, trying to stay. I wonder how much of that was hurt by being attached to that large, you know, 
large fire of a movement because then when the fire went out so did all the support and all the passion you know maybe not man just I okay let's we're sitting here talking about American social movements um <laughs> but but the point being that it, that's sort of reflected in the film that American media has long been far more concerned about sex than about violence so here are these kids victims of sexual sexual abuse taken away from the horrible places and then in a classic not necessarily taking care of its victims chucked into this home and then in a double classic of oh well after everything they've been through what is this violence to them and also a oh well we don't care because it's just violence just violence right, quote yeah. unquote um, <clears throat> that, that whole bit was sort of kind of a, a, a you know a shot fired at the whole attitude of what we find acceptable and what we don't which I guess is, relates to the whole film because the whole time our main character is not found as acceptable by most people in this film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's interesting too. It's a, it's an interesting like polarity between this idea of, of violence and polarity. and sex, and how and, and I'm, I I don't want to say this in such a way that I'm saying like this was caused by this, but how you see these two kind of themes kind of running through history and so again i'm not necessarily tying the stuff you were talking about saying oh that was the cause of this but you know at this time where you have okay we're at war and we're doing all this but then there are these people well no we want peace and free love and all this stuff so you know i don't maybe before then there was already sort of an opposition of those two concepts and kind of that whole if you're not with us you're against us so like if you're not for the war you're against the war and it's the US military who's at war so if you're against the war you're against the military and you know that's something I've definitely seen with like every kind of big military action since I've as I've gotten older is that you know the it, it, it's it's this all or nothing kind of thing um, and even now you know if we look and I'll try to talk about this vaguely so I'm not trying to like you know make too many like solid statements that could be you know, diversifying and well, hey, they wouldn't think this, Diversify but, but or yeah. um, not diversifying, the, divisive. Um, divisive, divisive. Yeah, thank you, thank you Joel. So we both picked up on that, not yeah, being the word. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know dates, what? but I do know words. Yeah. Hmm. So, so is that how you got your dates? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so this idea that you know nowadays where things are very polarized, we have a lot of, and I guess you could maybe both sides could read into their issues and the opposition's issues using either of these concepts. But you have one side that has a lot of issues associated with, with violence and another side that has a lot of issues associated with, with that sort of sex and, and, and free love for back, lack of a better term. Not the same as in the 60s, but, but the, the, you know, the sexual liberation and the, um, the, the individual liberation and sexual lifestyle and that whole thing um so so it's just <clears throat> it's just interesting that you see that this this tends to be a thing throughout and again i don't know if that's where it started was in the 60s if it was going on before then if they're related if it's just a human nature thing that we have to try to put these on opposite sides and you know you kind of have to be on one side or the other it pretty much seems like um, and again, without pointing to specific issues, because I feel like there are plenty of people on both sides who could be like, oh, that thing that you said you are for because it's associated with sex, I'm going to say it's associated with violence, therefore I'm against it, which proves I'm against violence, even though I'm for these other things that are associated with violence. And But it, I, I feel like that's part of our even our current narrative, is that 
there is that divide where violence is okay but sex isn't it's like no wait sex is okay but violence isn't you know and and um yeah again not not trying to make if too could, strong of a specific if i could shift that into film relation mm-hmm. um i guess first just a bullet point there there's actually a lot of awareness of film history in Freddy Got Fingered. Mm-hmm. We already talked about the Keaton window fall and the yep. deer hunter scene, but there's <clears> that <throat> bit at the beginning when Betty's trying to convince him to let her give him a blowjob, and he finally gives in, and the camera pans away to this series of oh, photos yeah, of yeah, the Eiffel Tower being built. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. Yeah. And I mentioned that was sort of a, a Hays Code thing. Yeah. Older films. And I mean older, you know, think Bogart and stuff. When, two, when a couple's about to get it on, the camera pans away. But always to something indicative of a dick. To a train going in a tunnel, you know, or, or what have you, and and that was their way around the censorship. Mm-hmm. Like the director was knowingly winking at you from the screen, like, right. "Hey, yeah. um, you yeah, know, have a hot, oh, let me put a hot dog in this hot dog bun." Here right. you go. <laughs> they put that Eiffel Tower bit in Freddy Got Fingered. There's certainly an awareness. Um, I remember it, it was definitely high school. I saw this movie, but maybe I just was. I anyway, we were watching a movie um, about takes place in three places for my Spanish class. And I remember in school, if your film is PG-13, you can watch it, and if it's R, you have to get permission from the parents because high school. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a kid in Mexico, and a kid in Cuba, and a kid in, um, I think in Morocco, not Algeria. Near Spain, in, mm-hmm. in Northern Africa. I apologize for my lack of geography knowledge. And the three children, uh, the kid in Mexico whose father leaves for the US, the kid in Cuba whose father is supposedly long gone in Florida, and the kid in North Africa who sets out to find her father in Spain. And because, you know, Spanish class and three different dialects of the language and yada yada yada. But anyway, at one section, the kid from from Northern Africa is, is in Spain. She found her father. Her father's living with this woman. And it's the scene the next morning after the kid shows up at the apartment. And the kid is on the couch, wakes up. And this woman that the father's been living with, who, great body language in that film, sort of adversarial towards the child this reminder of this little life that the man she loves came from you know yeah yeah yeah. the point is the woman gets up and she walks into the bathroom which in this tiny urban apartment is basically a closet with a sort of sliding door and toilet and it turns sideways in a sink and then she just sits down and tugs her down and she goes and she pees and then we watch it we see it happen on screen Mm -hmm. and she looks at the kid and the kid looks at her and they side each other up because in Europe, they're less worried about sexual content than we are. Right. And I remember... The fact that you're referring to that as sexual content, too, I think is part of... Well, needs to be well, part of the discussion. Well, yes, point. that's what I was getting... <laughs> and, and nudity in general. Yeah. They're less worried about that sort of thing at all. And that, even at the time, that struck me as they never would have liked that. Mm-hmm. The U.S., you know, the ratings right. support would never have liked that. Yeah. There's nothing sexual about that in right. any way, shape, or form. The woman is wearing perfectly normal underwear she's got a tank top on the whole time which is more covering than most of the kids in my school were wearing mm-hmm. um and as she sits she's turned sideways and she sits and tugs and you don't see anything at all mm-hmm. and you're turned sideways and except for the fact that you can see that her underwear is now around her ankles mm-hmm. and or that there's no tiny strip of fabric across her hip right. like you might see on a bikini mm-hmm. there was nothing to indicate that she's not what a film would consider properly clothed right because remember we do see plenty of underwear and bikinis for women in films, right. even yeah. in PG-13 films and mm-hmm. lower. I mean, it's... Um, and I guess the fact that she's peeing, mm-hmm. obviously she can't be wearing anything. But, you know, like, no, right. there's nothing nothing at all about that. Right. The most normal thing that people do all the time. Mm-hmm. I, but I even remember, even then, I don't know how old I was, it occurred to me that, oh, 
this is a foreign film. That was the thing that right. Saint-Denis was a foreign Not yeah. it being in, the, in three other languages, you know. Right, yeah. There are whole sections in, um, <clears throat> obviously in Spanish. The Spanish and Cuban was almost un- completely incomprehensible for me. We spent our time in California learning Mexican oh, okay. grammar rules and things, and mm-hmm. obviously most of us speaking accented. But there were plenty of native Spanish speakers around from various places, and they sound different. I was good family friends with a man from El Salvador who spoke English accented differently than people from Mexico. You know, it was, it was mm-hmm. subtle. Um, the Spanish in Spain was, I think they were, I think they were up in the Basque region somewhere. So there was a mixture of Spanish and Basque, which was very weird. And there were some sections that were in, I think, Arabic. I, I, again, I can't remember too much. And then, of course, the Cuban Spanish was practically incomprehensible. And the Mexican Spanish was, oh, hey, that pretty much matches my textbook, except it's done much more casually and with some slang because it's real people. But none of that felt foreign to me. Mm-hmm. That just felt like cinema. Right. You know, it was that part specifically of, mm-hmm. you know, instead of the woman going into the bathroom and then no longer being part of the scene. Right. And a scene, all of that. It was, oh, yeah, right. This is not even vaguely American. Because of those completely different attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's much more, I don't want to say casual nudity. But just sort of, it's just there. I shrug, you know, it's a thing that happens. Bodies yeah. are a thing in, in European film and TV. <clears throat> um, yeah, probably don't have as many hang-ups. So it's just, yeah, it's not thought yeah. of as like, ooh, we're going to be really racy and show a girl pee. It's yeah. just like, no, she just woke no. up. This is what it's she's going to do. Going to the bathroom. This is what you do in the morning, right? Yeah. Like, no shit. Because that's not the scene. The scene was the two of them sizing each other up. Mm-hmm. The girl looking curiously at this woman that her father is living with, and the girl's still young enough not to necessarily connect all those dots. Mm-hmm. And the woman looking, not with accusation, but with frustration at this thorn, at this splinter that has shown up in her life to mm-hmm. ruin what she had, you know, and, and knowing that she can't blame the child for it. Mm-hmm. And all of that is done with body language and look, and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'd... But but yeah, so to connect that back to Freddy Got Fingered, which is what <laughs> we're talking about. Honestly, that phrase being the title was feels sort of pushing it to me in a lot of right. ways, you yeah. know? <clears throat> because even in the film, it barely comes up. Mm-hmm. He says it, and then they take Freddy away, and they put him in the home, and then, boop, done. Yeah. And and even the sexual content with, with Betty and slacking her on the shins, she's dressed the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> or at least covered, you know, very well. Well, because I, even as he comments on it, he's still not free to to push it very far. Mm-hmm. I wonder if any of that has to do with the fact that that's the the one false thing in the film. Ooh, to, know, like, to tie it back. I'm sorry, Tim. I keep interrupting. No, 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 okay. Please. I mean, I, I don't know where I was going with that. I mean, to, so we can to tie it back to what with Joel's discomfort. Comedy is very frequently something used to push boundaries and to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to shove social norms around and make us examine things. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> no. right. um, so, yeah, I, I would argue that that discomfort, the film was doing its job. You know, it was making you re examine something. And not all comedy has to do that, obviously. Right. Sometimes it can just be funny. <clears throat> you know, yeah. why did a chicken cross the road to get to the idiot's house? Knock, knock, who's there? The chicken. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, comedy has always been a sort of accepted way to do the not acceptable if that makes sense you know it's been right. a place where these like, things oh, it's, get it's pushed around you know, right oh, it's fine. 
So that certainly uh, accomplished something. The idea is that the tension that that scene creates, right, is not alleviated, at least not for me watching it today. Right, yeah. As it might have been watching it when it came out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the social context has shifted. Yeah, certainly. Now I just keep thinking about Nanette, the Netflix special. Films are always a product of their time Mm -hmm. in some way or other. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's, it's... Using yeah. using the creation of tension for comedic end, yes, that's an effective tool that's no longer viable for that specific scene in my case. That's yeah. yeah, but it's it's a great examination. That's I love that about my my uh, I took a class on the history of the Holocaust in film, which is obviously pretty specific. But it's the point is that a lot film, of laughs in that class. <laughs> yeah, but film can be a great examination of social norms and social movements and social moods because what people were able to make what they were able to market how popular something was what people said about it how the perceptions of it changed over time maybe a little soon for Freddy Got Finger but something made in the 60s how that was then perceived in the 70s and perceived in the 80s and perceived now etc are all great ways to get at least a sliver of insight into the way societies have changed I don't just mean in terms of, you know, oh, films are part of their time because there weren't cell phones in Night of the Hunter or maybe in the 50s, haha. Like, not just the technology. But what we see on the screen can tell us a lot. While also, frustratingly, telling us very little. Mm-hmm. You know, not something we can draw conclusions from. But um, And it's fascinating, especially with these newer films, to see how quickly some of those can change. Because really, I think it's only 17 years. Mm-hmm. Not terribly old in the history of American filmmaking. But old enough. Old enough that there was already enough of a shift, not just in Joel's life, but in the societal focus, the societal understanding of these topics, that that whole chunk of the film is now... doesn't feel the way it must have in 2001. Yeah. So what were you saying about the most negative thing I can't... Oh, no, no, the only thing that, like, the, I don't know if that's the best way to word it, like, like, the idea of, like, him, him saying, you know, that his father fingers Freddy, like, that's sort of the only, I shouldn't say the only untrue thing, because he's, he's doing many untrue things. Oh, no, then again, he lies he about having yeah. a job. Yeah. It's, it's one of his only lies that doesn't end up being revealed as a lie. Because yeah. when he lies about having a job or about being a stockbroker or being successful, mm-hmm. he gets found out. Yeah, pr- pretty damn quickly in yeah. almost all those situations, you know. And, but that one just sort of gets washed away in his own fulfillment of his personal quest. Yeah. yeah that, that's one of the things I do think about is like, well, what's the what's the significance of that being the title? You know, is it is it just the shock value? Is it just the let's lure you in yeah. with this seemingly kind of quirky title, and then you kind of see what this is really referring to, and it's like super shocking and like yeah. oh my god! Like I don't remember yeah. if the mics were on when I said this, but of all the pieces of the film for them to pick to make a title out of, yeah, like why that one? 
Right. It could have been, you know, struggling cartoonist. Become one with the animals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Know, zebras in America. Zebras yeah. in America. It could have right. been any number of other things. Yeah. That would have been just as... It would have been just as... Made sense of, oh yeah, this is why they picked that for the title. Right. Or much more sense. I mean, the other... Like, it is an ambiguous title, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because your thought is they couldn't possibly mean that, right? Like, right. when you first hear it, it's like, yeah. this has to be something about... An accusation. Yeah, right? and even when they when you meet, oh, this is Freddy. You know, you learn that that's his brother's name. You don't go, wait a minute, like that's the guy who gets fingered. It's like you're just kind of like, whatever, you go along. Right. And that was the thing. Even yeah. knowing that there were multiple animals getting jerked off in this movie before we w sat down to watch it, I still in my mind was thinking that could still mean somebody's going to get framed, right? Like right. it still like yeah. didn't. It doesn't jump out at you. It has that ambiguity and it's sustained mm -hmm. until that moment, and it's like, shit. Like, yeah. Because we all, I think, we expected it to be another one of those absurdist, ridiculous, gross-out comedy things that mm -hmm. was had been happening throughout the entire film, but then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Interesting focus for sure. I don't know maybe like maybe you know Tom Green looks back on it and like you know in the current times like oh, I wish I hadn't included that part of it you know like I'd love to hear what know, Tom to Green thinks see, of it now yeah for sure I'd, I'd love to see a director's commentary yeah. you know like mm -hmm. hear him talk about shooting it and that kind of stuff like yeah certainly. yeah yeah because you know and you know again not to say that it's okay that we didn't have the level of awareness of the sensitivity that we should have around those these topics like but but that's the thing is it's it's like you know sometimes you can't blame people for their initial ignorance about something you know if they have a a, um, a chosen ignorance you know that's a different story but like you know to be ignorant is like well they just haven't been presented with like hey this shouldn't be funny you know it was just kind of like oh whatever i'm going to throw a bunch of stuff together that's gross and inappropriate and people aren't going to like and whatever or, or even you know as i mentioned about comedy being a safer place to push the boundaries yeah maybe it wasn't something that could be openly talked about yeah maybe that's true could, maybe it was yeah you could talk about it under the guise of a joke comedy's fulfilled that purpose for yeah. a long time you're not even just in film but outside mm -hmm. of it yeah mm -hmm. and you know at least to to as a way of raising the awareness even if it's done in a way that's kind of off color and making it yeah look like we're like they're poking fun at it which you know um yeah yeah i feel like yeah especially nowadays it's one of those things like just stay away from it you know like you're not going to do this in such a way where it's like okay yeah this way because you're talking about child molestation this way it's okay yeah it's just like don't do it but, but that's the thing is there wasn't that back then it was more yeah how can we push boundaries like you know like, like i said like there are people who are going to like none of the things in this film across the board, you know, so it's like, you know, what else can we throw in that's going to have shock value and push the boundary? Like, oh, yeah, we'll throw that, put this in, put this in here. And and I think it was weird, too. Like, I, I it kind of didn't occur to me. And maybe it's because I, you know, saw this so many years ago. But until you kind of presented it that way, it's like, oh, yeah, like, that is kind of fucked up. And I think because when it, that concept is first presented like you you know it's not true and it's just this lie and it didn't happen and it's yeah it's not until you see all those children who it did happen to and you kind of stop and think about the weight of that that you're like oh that, that is kind of fucked up and, and not funny and i don't want to laugh at that you know like, right. 
Like, I feel like maybe if they had just talked about that part of it and they didn't come to, or maybe even if they took him away, like the absurdity of like, he's obviously not a child, you know, like he's 25, he's telling you this didn't happen, you know, but, but yeah, like to see those kids and have it kind of this, yeah. That's a difficult thing with comedy, like. Can you joke about everything? Comedy is already difficult because it's so subjective. So to right. add something that also stirs hot passions. Right. And that's the thing. Like is, they're, yeah. <sighs> they're standing on a wobbly bridge and that is your decision to light a match. Right. I mean, and it's the thing. There, there are... Wooden bridge, I should say. Wobbly wooden bridge. Obviously. Right. In my cumbersome analogy. Just the analysis and the criticism is, okay, take jokes about trans people right mm-hmm. if you're making a joke about trans and the f- humor is coming from the fact that they're trans and oh, isn't that weird the, the the direction from which that joke is coming is hurtful and hateful and negative right. right but there's a way to make a joke about the trans community coming from a place where and it's been very difficult to track down any jokes that do this right mm-hmm. The person who did it the best is a fucking asshole. Louis C.K. had a pretty good joke about somebody just being an asshole their whole life. Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with their transition. Right. But the idea about it being about a person and their personality yeah. and the idea of their identity being a part of that but not contributing to their negative or positive or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just this... I'd like to think that there's a way to tell a joke about everything because I like laughing and that's the thing like comedy is a great way of breaking the ice but there's a way to do it and there's an effort to do it in a way that is conscious and clever rather it's using the scalpel rather than the sledgehammer right like and that's you write about comedy about what's the phrase I want marginalized Groups, yeah. I guess maybe is is a good enough phrase. Like other groups, outsider groups, non-majority groups. Comedy about these groups has always been a challenge. Um, South Park is a perfect example because they just sort of plow ahead without mm-hmm. giving a shit, and they attract every spectrum, every inch of the spectrum of reaction. But yeah. they help us illustrate that. I either you specifically I and I'll use South Park here. I, I remember talking about gay humor in South Park. There were members of the gay community who were upset that they were being you know, treated poorly or differently or that they found that offensive. Mm-hmm. And there were others who found it great because they felt that the use of them, the brazen, careless use of them in comedy was helping with normalization, that people were comfortable enough to laugh about yeah. them and that that was bringing into the fold. And they're, you know, both those feelings are perfectly valid mm-hmm. because those are both from different sets of people with different life experiences, both in that same group Right. But they came to different conclusions. So whatever whatever you do with your comedy, and with anything related with these topics for the most part, but with comedy in particular, is it's 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 hard. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can always push your boundaries with it, but people are going to disagree about what you meant. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like what I appreciate about comics who do it well now mm-hmm. is that they've gone through the hoops. They've actually like they they're not just out to get the cheap laugh, right? It's about crafting something that's making a comment on something in a way that doesn't... Like, I mean, somebody's going to be pissed off all the time, right? Like, somebody's going to be offended by everything. But when somebody takes the time to try and craft something conscious and clever 
and funny, you can see the effort there. You know how mm. difficult it is to produce that. Yeah. And if it makes you laugh, that's a huge, like making people laugh, period, is difficult, right? Mm. To do it in that way is another stretch, you know? Now, I wonder if part of the key to that, you know, like you, like we, we've been talking about, like the key to comedy is like relating to things, you know, like, like if I tell a joke, a private joke with one of my friends, you guys don't know, it's not funny because you can't relate to it. And maybe that's sort of the key to like, you know, a lot of hateful, harmful comedy, like say, for example, against trans people is that the comedian is looking to have the audience relate on that level of like you said oh hey isn't this thing weird and connecting on that part of it as opposed to making them connect to trans people on something that that they and the the audience will relate to together because then are they just trying to entertain or are they also trying to get people thinking or to push boundaries or all three or some combination right and that's the thing what is the comedian's job at that point right like yeah. Well, and, you know, and I think part of it, too, is like I I don't think we should ever get to a point of like censorship, but kind of like we talked about with movies before, like you're kind of voting with your money. You know, if there's a comedian who is kind of going about things in a sort of hateful, hurtful way, it's like, OK, yeah, we should start boycotting this comedian. Like, don't go see this comedian stuff. Don't watch their stuff on Netflix. Like, this isn't the type of stuff we want to promote. I showed up to the theater and there was a burning cross on stage. <laughs> don't go to this man's show. Um, but, but, you know, like that. Yeah. And I think I think it has to. Like, yeah, there has to be a way that we kind of let let the people know, like, no, like you have to be better than this. Like you have to, you know. You know, and, and, and that's the thing is like, are they trying to entertain? Are they trying to this? Like, like sure, whatever. It's like a slow any combination process. of that. Like different, yeah, different, different comedians have different ways of doing things. Like Mike Birbiglia, he he's what I love about him is he's such a storyteller with what he what he does, especially in uh, the my girlfriend's boyfriend. Yeah. Like holy shit! Like by the end of that, I was just like, whoa! What did you just? What journey did you just take me on? Um, but you know that's different from what you know someone like. Um, can't think of any other comedians I've seen, but you know, like people who are more kind of like one-two punch with their, um, with their Mitch comedy. Your, yeah, you know, like like quirky little unrelated things. It's like, hey, here's this concept. Isn't this funny? Cool. Here's this other concept. Isn't this funny? Yeah, that's funny. I think that's funny too. You know, yeah. Um, it's a slow process, but there are these shifts in the tides of social acceptance. These glacial shifts. Yeah. Actually, we talked about. We all talked about this, although I think separately about. It's happening finally in the Star Wars community and all other communities with the creators don't really have to take shit from the assholes anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. The um, fanboy whining is no that, longer. Yeah, yes, that because the rest swing. of us are voting with our wallets and being louder with our voices and working hard to ignore the jerks and the terrible people, the creators know now that they don't have to fear failure if they disavow those awful people that once upon a time when you know you sold a hundred thousand tickets and then there were you know seventy thousand people on the internet upset about something when they disagreed there was always the back and forth of well i could take a stand here and then maybe never make a movie again or i could just keep quiet and make something later and maybe it'll be more powerful or back and forth and you know seemed like they opted for silence silence which is this you know the safer bet um in quotes safer 
safer for them yeah although yeah but like now that there's been such a big push back you know when people show up and say there was that whole oh my gosh i had the whole example but it was it was it was it was trying to mask a hatred of a character behind arguing that the character was poorly written Oh, but it was Rose and, yes thank yeah. you yeah Rose Gosh. and Force but, Awakens yeah. which but but the thing is that, that those sorts of arguments are plain to see it's like telling me the sky isn't blue it's like I can just look up and go what the hell so you know like if you were complaining about the writing you'd be complaining about the writing mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas when you were not doing that and claiming you were it was like the almost obvious thing on earth and I think was it Ryan Johnson who had something about that said you know Criticism is criticism, and hate is hate. And no one here is confused about what we're talking about. Right. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he didn't say, shut the fuck up, right. but I added that. But you know what I mean. Yeah. He was able to do that because, you know, instead of all these angry angry jerks coming, you know, being, oh, well, let's boycott in his films, it was a bunch of other people showing up on social media, retweeting his tweet, and sharing and going, yes, this is the message we want from our creators. Yeah. And they've got the support now. But there were similar problems in past films very recently, so in some cases, that just didn't get that same kind of creator commitment, and mm-hmm. that same because they didn't get that same kind of reaction from such a large size section of the community. I mean, it also mm-hmm. helps that it's Disney owning sure, Star Wars, sure. and they're always going to make money. Like, <laughs> but that's the point. Now they have, you know, the the the, the tide the turning towards tide the right has way. shifted enough that they can take a firmer stance and uh, comedy tends to be on the cutting edge again we talked about comedy being a space to push boundaries tends to be on the cutting edge Um, so you know sometimes they take more risks right it's it's always weird to go watch something and think about oh yeah this movie was horribly controversial when released and you watch it now and you go it's quaint. What, is, what did they write this? Right. Anything other than G? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah, it's quaint. Perfect word. Yeah. Um, and Freddy Got Fingered is super interesting because, as we said, 17 years is long enough for there to be hindsight, but not so very long in the grand scheme of things. And it's in this weird sort of middle position, you know? And I, now I'm thinking about, okay, one of my favorite movies is The Producers, right? Yeah. Springtime for Hitler, huh. right? That is a show tune about the fucking Holocaust. About, right? About a lot of awful things are contained so, within that concept. Yes. Right. So that I find funny. Yeah. So what is the difference between Tom Green making the joke about child molestation? And it could, it could be a million things. It could and be, is, it, yeah. is it distance? Mm-hmm. Well, is it knowing that Mel Brooks is Jewish, so he gets to make that joke, and because he put it on film, I'm supposed to laugh at it. Like, I, do you see the the dilemma I'm having in this? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's part of it too. Is and, and this was something I was thinking a little while back that we were saying is like I've noticed nowadays that there's this big. Again, I don't want to get too specific. But <laughs> there are a lot of people who just expect to be taken at their word on what their inten- intentions are. And we're not supposed to look at what they're actually, actually saying, doing. what their actions are. And, you know, people who say, like, oh, I don't hate this group, 
but blah 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 and they'll go on spewing all this 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 hateful speech and these hateful opinions about you know about whether or not certain people are people and should have rights but i don't hate them so you're not supposed to you know label me with the fact that you know and i think that's 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 a big study in in sociology and criminology of Mm -hmm. the sort of social power that groups hold Mm -hmm. that we talked about the the fanboys to use your term joel no longer have any social power it's vanishing quickly it's evaporating their social power to alter the profit margins of films is evaporating Mm -hmm. and as a result we can be much more aggressive towards them but the power it doesn't have to be film profit it can be film profit or day-to-day life or lawmaking or whatever but the power of of other groups is still there the power to 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 invoke consequences is still there Mm -hmm. and that's why even when they do something we don't like we can't always use the response we want or we don't i don't know you know to use the with disciplining a child you can just sort of discipline the child and they'll okay i can't i can't trivialize raising a kid but but if you're going to try to discipline a roommate as opposed to a child hear that mitch (laughs) no no that person has more power more agency more independence Mm -hmm. and more control over your living situation if that makes sense Mm -hmm. than the the child does um so you have to be more cautious and tiptoe around things can't be as direct um there's which is something we're still seeing hopefully in the united states with it was weird learning about, say, the KKK and wondering, like, how did this happen? But it happened because, at least in the certain areas where it was powerful, they held that social power. As much as we would have loved to say, you know, let's put them all in jail, they had enough ability to, to make negative consequences, if you tried that, that you had to do something else. Something more more subtle, more clever, more slow. And I mean, I I wasn't there, right? Right and wrong decisions about racial um, racial policy. But just that, but nowadays, in most parts of the country, <coughs> at least, um, if the KKK tried to spring up again, it wouldn't work nearly as well. Yeah, as, it, well, see, that's the way I mean. It's not even, it isn't even approaching the power it used to have. Yeah, but it's calling itself something else. Sure. But, but you know, it's, their ability to Sith, exert the, Empire, the first order yeah, yeah. <laughs> to exert power as a sort of retribution for attempting the removal is diminished from what it once was so the measures we can take can be more aggressive mm-hmm. we got to a very happy place didn't we <laughs> Once again, I'm spouting off my half-formed and unfinished social thoughts. <laughs> well, I, podcast. I don't know when JFK died, so you're fine. Like, I only know when, it, when he died because of the Stephen King book that's now a miniseries on Hulu, 112263. Ah. <laughs> Thank you, James Franco, once again. <laughs> you're not James Dean, James. I feel like we do that a lot. We'll we'll find this most obscure part of the movie and just like focus more on this one little piece of it 
that's probably like with Kranoskotsi with the subtitles discussion yeah. we had. It was like what, fifteen, twenty minutes on what ended up being like the like was it the name? It was like the life out of balance uh-huh. was translated. And that was from like, Hopi, like, right? You know, and it was like all of this discussion and speculation and all this, but it's like It's, the thing, it's, it's not an invaluable conversation to talk about well, the no. place of comedy and its right. ability to show you a snapshot of what is acceptable or yeah, yeah it's not I just I worry that we overstep ourselves no that's for sure because we're, we're not, not qualified to talk about it as much as it, it may sound like it when we, when we talk in our podcasts yeah we're not you know gods um but on the Speak other hand, self, mortal. <laughs> on the other hand, we have nothing else to draw from, except our own understandings, right. and they're they're not they're going to be incomplete. Right. Um, but I'm not going to also sit here and read 16 theses and then resume our podcast. <laughs> it's not practical in the middle of recording. Yeah. So. Well, plus, and I think that's the difference too. A lot of times we try to look for answers on those things and be like, as opposed to like. Well, in my limited experience, I think this. So that's what I'm going to go towards, even mm-hmm. if someone presents contrary information, you know. And, um, yeah, so Joel, tell us, with the next film you're picking, what is our political discussion going to be about? So I can read up <laughs> on it beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Please. I have a um, boss who used to do that. He would, like, do a bunch of research on some current event thing and then, like, come into the room and kind of bait me into a conversation about it. And it'd be like, oh, well, what about this? Well, this thing just happened and blah, 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 blah. And these people did it. It's just like, all right, like, I haven't been reading up on this. I've been here, you know, delivering mail and doing this, that, and the other thing. But, like, they don't have that boss anymore, so that's not a problem. <laughs> but, like, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course you know more about this because you just read about it. And now you're pulling me into a conversation that I'm not ready for. Like, but I'm not saying that's what is happening. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion next month. <laughs> but before we get to announcing with that, we should do Situation. situational movie recommendations. Movie recommendations. Situational movie recommendations. We're doing it like that it's from spe- now It's only supposed on. to be for special episodes. Special episodes. Special episodes. Anybody got one this week? This month? This year? This moment in time, are we thoroughly depressed? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I didn't come up with one ahead of time. I'm thinking. Favorite movie to make people uncomfortable about? Actually, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's Let's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of that. Is this? Is, is that? Go ahead if you have one. Is this? Is this it? Might as well. Yeah. Let's do that. Like favorite. Favorite movie to like? Well, yeah, I love the prompt. I'm basically, just saying, yeah, is this like your set, answer? Um, oh, okay. So, probably, I can't really think of something else that I would like show people and have them be like, yeah, like watch this, like okay, and they go into it being all like, yeah, this is gonna be a fun little little comedic romp, and be like, oh my god, what is happening? Like, I mean, I feel like I kind of vaguely warned you guys about that with this, but I was definitely still like. Yeah, they're gonna be like, what the fuck? Mm. <laughs> I'm cheating again. I'm going to look at my movie shelf. <laughs> I feel like for me, it might be Life of Brian. Because mm. it was very controversial when it came out, and to a certain extent, it still is. Because people consider it blasphemous and mm. like anti Catholic or Protestant. And 
it's not really incendiary when I want people to watch it. I just I think it's hilarious. It's my favorite comedy of all time because it it what it sets up and what it's making fun of is dogma, mm-hmm. is people's commitment to organized religion and the silly things that they fixate on. Right. Not the good things about religion, about treating people with respect and treating them like human beings and loving each other, right? Like, it doesn't attack any of those positive things. It just makes fun of, like, totemic stuff. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just kicked the table while I was sitting down. If you all heard that, I apologize. (laughs) That doesn't even look like it. Registered. Oh, okay. No, I just sounded the same. More insane than usual. Uh, Please don't. Please (laughs) No, it, it, what it sets up is just the people who listen to the Sermon on the Mount and mishear it, right? Like, blessed are the cheesemakers. Did anybody catch his name? Apparently it's not meant to be taken literally. It means all producers of dairy products. Like, it's a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, what's funny is that humanity receiving the tenets of religion get it fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And when you show it to somebody who's really religious, you get to watch either them laugh out of relief of oh this doesn't affect my religion at all because it's funny and it's not incendiary in that way or you get to watch them squirm and be uncomfortable because they can't get the joke right which sounds like i'm going back on my previous thing about just get over the joke bullshit remember it's okay to make fun of the people who are in the majority and who have the power good it's it's the marginalized people we're not supposed to Yes. In keeping with my compulsive need to mention more than one film in answer, um, <laughs> my film I would use to, I guess maybe not make people uncomfortable, but utterly crush their souls is Life is Beautiful. Um, oh. But mm. my film to make people uncomfortable would actually be La Haine, which we watched. Mm. Um, because the film itself is just kind of uncomfortable to watch, mm-hmm. just the scenes that are happening, and then the things it makes you think about are not comfortable at all. Yeah. The social problems and political problems and... and all the situations are just very sort of squirmy. Yeah. I won't go into that too much. I mean, we already right. watched it and talked about that in the episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe Seven would be another one. Oh, yeah. Like, I really like Seven. Like, yeah. it, it's from that same... There's two kinds of uncomfortable, too. There's the uncomfortable with what you're seeing in front of you, and then the uncomfortable with the way it butts up against your expectations. Yeah. Or your perspectives. Right. Which, which Freddy Got Fingered is certainly certainly <laughs> both, actually. Um, Lahane is mostly the second one, but a little bit of the first one. Um, seven is very much the first one. Yeah. And what you're seeing on screen is just horrifying to behold. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was a good one, actually. Well actually, done. I have another one to add, too. Yeah, yeah. If it's, and I, I'm not going to go into detail lots of reasons but it's if anyone out there has seen this and they're like oh yeah the movie irreversible i i don't recommend anyone see this film but this is probably like yeah the most the movie that i've been the most uncomfortable watching i'm not gonna get into why i'm just gonna say like it was just a fucking horror show and uh yeah mm-hmm. but, but that's the thing is i that 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 you know like i said for the one person out there for our one fan who's like oh yeah i've seen that oh yeah fucking a man but um uh yeah don't don't see that film mm-hmm. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> that, that movie has made note. me the most uncomfortable <laughs> so, this concludes uh 
Uh, we'll read it to him. That was a great uh, suggestion. Oh, yeah. nice. Thank you. I like um, that one too. Thanks. This concludes our first year of Movie Mumble. Well, the recap will technically. Yes, we'll properly way. conclude. Yes. Thank you, Tim. Um, those of you who were still with us at the beginning and have now left, <laughs> we apologize. Um, those of you who made it through to the beginning of this podcast and then not to hear, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really, those of you who are still listening, thank you so much. Uh, we. It's fun to do this, um, but we wouldn't really be doing it without you. For sure. Uh, Listener. Not in the same sense, you know. <laughs> not just, oh, there wouldn't be microphones on my coffee table. Just right. wouldn't, the discussions wouldn't be as passionate and as focused right. and as meaningful without you out there listening. So thank you all so very much. So I guess that does answer um, the age-old question that if tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, then it doesn't make us. The answer is if no one's around to hear it, it doesn't fall. Because if you weren't listening, we wouldn't be doing it. But uh, that does, that also concludes our shameless pleasures cycle. And This is a uh, good one. I I really like the idea of these themed ones. We have another themed cycle, I believe, coming up. Yes. uh, Which is going to be our favorite films. And we're going to stick with our Joel Scott Tim order. Joel, what is your favorite film? Or, I suppose, the one you settled on for your favorite <laughs> film cycle. The Fugitive, starring mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. And mm-hmm. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it is is my favorite film of all time. And it's... Close second is Braveheart, but this mm. this is definitely... I w- didn't want to make you guys watch a three-hour movie, but this one's also my... Braveheart's uh, three hours? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it, huh? some reason well if we ever want to do a second favorite film then I'll do Fight Club for that one okay yeah <laughs> sweet Club, your second favorite we'll just do the list down 100th favorite film <laughs> no it's 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 a good have you guys both seen The Fugitive no, no actually really that's awesome yeah. okay cool like I, I was excited to watch it with you guys anyway but it's, it's kind of one of the only big Harrison Ford action movies I haven't managed to see yet oh there's some finger pointing in this one because there are a lot of them there you know there's Air Force One right. and The Witness yep. or just Witness I guess it's called and of course all the Indiana Jones movies yeah. and and Clear Star and Present Danger and Patriot Games right. and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. and I just haven't managed to get around to that one yet that's really I'm, I'm excited to show it to you guys like that's that's cool that you haven't seen it mm-hmm. it's as most movies that I have a strong attachment to my dad introduced me to it so I'm, I'm excited for you guys to I don't want to give too much yeah. of the, the, mm-hmm. the story of my origin with the film but that'll be fantastic I think a favorite yeah. film cycle is a great way to start off here too yeah for sure and uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it Woo! Yeah, well, we get to yeah, it's, it's to start off our year too it also close off the calendar year yeah because it'll be our um, October, November, December oh yeah that'll be the last Absolutely. one of the calendar year and Beautiful. we also should also give an announcement about our, our upcoming special episodes we're doing. Special episodes. Yeah, sure. Um, well, because because that one's going to premiere beginning of October, right? With yeah. When we're doing the future. So yeah. Yeah. I, so we're we're gonna try to fit in. This is is kind of really gonna cram a little bit. Yeah, it'd be um, great. <laughs> by week. Themed movie choices for seasonal holidays. Yeah. So, so our favorite Halloween movie yeah haunting what have you you know spooky scary thriller yeah themed our favorite nickelodeon (laughs) holiday movies certainly um whether they be christmas hanukkah or whatever Mm -hmm. you know just that whole wintertime holiday season feel yeah Yeah. Uh, were we also going to do something thanksgiving related or new year's related 
I don't know. I think the the two I kind of thought of were like yeah, the Halloween and then the. the yeah, we settled holiday. certainly on yeah. Halloween yeah. holiday yeah. and the Harvey Moon's, but yeah, we're excited to put those in there. Yeah, especially because it helps us share some valued films with you without necessarily taking away other slots. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And kind of fitting it in when it is seasonal. You know, if we were going to do. Yeah. A Halloween well, yes, movie cycle gonna, one a go month, up you know? much yeah. faster than our usual yeah. recordings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the plan is, that, yeah, it should be the fugitive will be like the first Sunday of October, mm-hmm. and then the second, third, fourth Sunday of October will be Joel's favorite Halloween, Scott's favorite Joel Halloween, Halloween, my James. favorite Halloween, exactly. and, then, and then in December we'll have a similar yeah. set for our. Uh, you know, listen to some horse podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> We're excited. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Month we hope of you are podcast. excited too. Yeah, we hope you're excited too. Hope you're already uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> and uh, thank you also very much for listening. We'll see you again next time. Bye. See ya. Hey, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes. If you'd like to check us out there, we'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or, if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at JoelT18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard, And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more. Yeah.